Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the BMX in our blood. I wanted to take a quick minute to congratulate two people on having an amazing grands race. That would be Tom Johnson. We still claim him as Connecticut, even though he's in Florida, for winning that 56 and over expert main, which some of you may have seen because that particular main has gotten a little bit of attention for some unfortunate reasons. But the race at the front was awesome, and that's where Tom was, and he made a big pass in Eric Group and won the main, and I think that is just uh, super cool against some legends, some really cool guys. Congratulations, Tom. The other one is Devin Murphy from Connecticut. She repeated against some really tough competition. She had Brooke Crane in there coming back out of a couple-year retirement. Um, she also got also got second in the Nag Five Challenge, which I thought was pretty cool because that was uh, a pretty tough race mixed with some some really fast women. So congratulations, Devin, on winning the Grands also and, and getting number one in her class as well. Lots of other racers that I watched as uh, they stayed glued to the TV pretty much all weekend. It seemed. I don't, it must have been five days, I think, of, of watching uh, as much as I could of the race. Just lots of good racing, lots of fun watching other riders from Connecticut. I can't go through them all, but uh, also from New England and East Coast, which I think USA BMX did a really good job with the race. So congratulations to everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast with Robbie Miranda. It, it was a lot of fun, especially when uh, Steve Buddeck called in to surprise Robbie with a call something I was I was hoping would work out and and thanks to Steve it did so that that was really fun I think you guys will enjoy that and eventually I'll I'll get around to uh, meeting up with Steve and doing a, a podcast with him as well so anyway also just talking with Robbie he's a, he's a true professional and it was a fun conversation because I, I really did not know the depth of Robbie's interest in just giving back. It's a pretty cool interview that I think most of you will be pretty inspired by. Uh, that and his his work in the public sec- sector as a county sheriff. So it's a pretty intense job. And thank you, Robbie, for being uh, open about it. I asked some pretty, uh, we'll say, intense questions about it because I think they're things that that I certainly have on my mind often when I I think of the the type of job that Robbie does as well as as people I know around our area on the East Coast. I feel so fortunate that there's people like Robbie out there serving and protecting. Thank you, Robbie, and just thanks for the time and just being uh, extremely gracious, making it a a great experience. I think that's about it for now. Aside from if anyone feels so inclined to donate to the podcast, that would be fantastic. Just message me through Instagram at grounddad2000. That's it. Hope you enjoy this one. This is the last one for a little bit, for a, probably a month anyway. Uh, so enjoy it. And thank you all for comments and praise for the last couple episodes uh, with Jerry Bagley, Chris Muller. Those were just well received and I really appreciate the comments that you guys send me. As I tell a lot of you, it's not something that I'm really 
great at or don't feel like I'm very good at it, but I do enjoy trying to gather this content and get it out to you and you know do it with with care and I just am glad that you guys enjoy it. So that's about it. Enjoy. Welcome to BMX in Our Blood. Thank you for uh, having me here. This is cool. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Welcome to my house. <laughs> your, your house really nice, and I'm in the uh, I'm in the museum part of the room, mm-hmm. part of the house. I mean, yeah, you're in a converted bedroom to office. Mm-hmm. Uh, during COVID, my wife had to work from home, so we made a oh. desk, and mm-hmm. I have not much uh, BMX stuff in here, but this is it. This is everything I have, which is still. Pretty darn cool. A couple cool things, yeah. Very cool, yeah, absolutely. Um, I use that as the announcement. Did we ever figure out who uh, who took that picture, or do you know who took that picture? I uh, didn't figure it out. Uh, the magazine cover, yeah, um, is from Sheep Hills, and it's kind of funny because we used to go to Sheep Hills to shoot photos in full uniform, mm. and that is uh, taboo these days. No one does that, right? So, but we did as kids. <clears throat> uh, it's, did. I think. I really do think it's, um, I think it's Steve Buddendeck took that picture. Oh, okay. Um, but it could be Keith Mulligan also. Yeah, Steve's going to be a, uh, his name's going to come up a bit, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because I think the interview you did, which I want to tell people, was 2019 with uh, with Dale, right? So it was through mm-hmm. BMX Weekly, I think mm-hmm. he calls his podcast. Mm-hmm. Dale's a really awesome guy. He, he support, we support each other doing this. It's because he, he puts out great stuff that I wouldn't, uh, with people I would never have known the stories that he pulls out. He's yeah. also infamous among my friend group for always asking about money. How much you made, you know? <laughs> yeah, Dale's a, Dale's a great guy and his podcasts are great and I'm so happy he's yeah. still involved in the sport. Me too. Doing great things with his camps oh my and his God, podcasts man. and he's always fun to have around mm-hmm. now that we're not racing each other, right? Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah, and stay friends, that's cool. good. So, so right now he's in England because they're doing their Hall of Fame. Did you know that? I did see that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I don't know. I didn't ask him if he was... Pardon me, it's my dad. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, Dad, what's happening? I'm finally off, yes. I'm, I'm home and I'm relaxing and and uh, eating dinner. So feel good to be off here. Uh, yeah, the whole family's here. Yeah, everything's good. Oh, cool. You good out there? Huh? You good in Florida? You Everything good out there and weather good and all that? Oh, that's cool. Jeez. Yeah, you're still young. Well, cool, Dad. Well, I hope you enjoyed the day the last couple of days, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Crazy. Cool, man. All right, talk to you later. Bye. All right, sorry, we thought that no. was a battle. That's all right. It's not a problem at all. So we're talking to Il Holmes. Hopefully, he's already in the Hall of Fame. If not, maybe he's inducting, being inducted this. this Absolutely, week. yeah. The guy is well deserved of. Yeah. Recognition in Europe and in England, mm-hmm. of course. I'm glad you brought up his camps because it's amazing how many kids he's turned into racers. Oh yeah, and which is. It's just awesome. You know, the funniest thing about Dale is when he was on GT and uh, he was, you know, we're on the national circuit, GT would have clinics scheduled for the team to do. 
Yeah. And they all, all Danny Nelson, Dale Holmes, they'd always complain about they had to do clinics and all this. But here we are, fast forward 20 years, Dale is fully involved in clinics, right? And and he's doing great with it. So yeah. good for him. And that's through his local Y, is that right? YMCA? Yeah. They have a good program. Him and his wife have a foundation with their, her family. Uh-huh. And I uh, think that's a big part of uh, the, the clinics oh, and the kids. Awesome. Yep. Um, I did find out he was he was away because I wanted to. We were going to podcast each other, so we'll do it another time. But we'll basically record the conversation. We'll both post it on each of our our uh, podcasts. It'd so be cool. Uh, so yeah, the interview he did with you was back in 2019. So I just want to encourage people to listen to that too, because I'm I'm sure we're going to talk about some things that he wouldn't have covered just because I have it different questions that I asked because I'm not a fellow pro that raced you at the, in those years. And uh, Yeah, and Dale's so, great because he just, he's local here, so he stops by and he just, mm-hmm. hey, let's do a podcast. So, mm-hmm. you know, we know each other very well and yeah, it's easy to talk to him. And Paul sure. Roberts came with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Paul Roberts lives down the street. Uh, from here? He, yep. Oh, cool. So it's cool to have Paul here and catch up with everybody and it's just like talking to old friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's super cool so so yeah I definitely want people to go back and listen to his you gotta scroll back a little bit but you can find it and it, it was a really good interview we did with you I thought it was Thank excellent you. appreciate it but uh, so you Robbie Miranda you are uh, you're a racer jumper stuntman I like to say uh, public servant which we'll touch on at, to whatever level you want to and uh, and father Two beautiful kids. How old are you, kids? Uh, my son is eleven. And my daughter's fourteen. I was just gonna start with some basic stuff from from Missouri to to Virginia. I always thought you were from Virginia, but you were in Missouri for a little bit. <clears throat> I started in Virginia. I, I grew up in Virginia, mm-hmm. and my parents uh, had a divorce, and my mother was stationed got stationed in Fort Leonard Wood because oh. she was in the army. So uh-huh. straight out of uh, fifth grade, I was. I was we moved to Rolla, Missouri, oh, okay. and that has been that we only lived there for a year mm-hmm. before we moved back to Virginia. But that that move and that transition was instrumental mm-hmm. in a part of why or how I got into BMX. Uh-huh. Uh, while I went to when I moved to Rolla, it was a very small town, and there was a um, there was a, a magazine store, a bookstore, and mm-hmm. a little shopping center. Where all the kids kids hung out. I remember going in there. And getting, you know, finding a BMX Plus or right. probably BMX Plus. And it had a like a local track guide. And I just happened to see that our, our town of Rolla had a track. Really? And I said, hey, let's go check this out. This sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was closed. It was run down. Okay. And there was no racing there. But mm-hmm. um, I, would, I was already riding a freestyle bike. I had a flatland bike oh, at the wow. time. Yeah. So I was like... Double doing flatland, right? With, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know like, racing existed. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we ended up going out to Springfield, Missouri, uh-huh. and uh, they had some races there. So I ended up racing there three times, and then on that after the third race as a beginner, uh-huh. then we moved back to Virginia, and then it just everything opened up. We went fully into racing from that point. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So in Missouri, I don't know if you would remember these guys because I think they're more '80s guys, but Missouri pumped out some amazing racers like John Hyatt. Um, there were good racers like like uh, Mike Goatee, the guy that made the trod cages. Uh, who else was from there? Tim Kokoris. 
These. What year did you start? Because the, some of these names might be just before. 1988. Yeah, they may have still been in magazines at that time then. Yeah. If you were if you were reading them religiously, those names would probably pop up a little bit. Um, but they're all they were called the Missouri Outlaws. It's, it, I think BMX Action actually came up with that, or maybe they did. I don't know. Travis McGee too, I think. Uh, so anyway, uh, so you moving from there back to Maryland? How far after? Well, I, I grew up in Northern Virginia, so that's where oh, we I'm lived. Sorry. But but it was very close to Maryland. Virginia. Yeah. Um, I found a track called Lake Fairfax. It was closed down, uh-huh. but um, it was it was a track, and it was it was very much a '80s track, you know. Mm-hmm. Really long straightaways, no jumps. And we went there just to practice. It was just like, mm-hmm. let's go there and ride. And then uh, we found we found Winchester BMX in Virginia. And then we also found um, Columbia BMX in Maryland. And that was our uh, local track. It was an hour away. And that was what year? 1989. Oh, okay. Yep. That's right. Because you only, you said you were in uh, Missouri for, for a, a year. Yep. When you were a beginner, you were yep. racing there for a year. Yep. That was back when it was, was it three wins for beginner? It was. And it was an ABA track in Springfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I won my first three races, and then I came back as an intermediate in, in ABA. Oh, right, right. But I was, you know, came back to an NBL. Uh, sorry, in, well, yeah, I came back as an intermediate. Right. And started racing in Columbia. Mm-hmm. Who was, in, who was around there at that time for pros that you'd look up to, fast racers? No call, right? Okay. Um, who was who were the big names that you would have tried to keep up with and, and just watched and made you want to progress? Well, all, all I knew was the local riders there. Um, one of the local kids that I raced was this guy Tommy Bumgardner, and he raced for Phelps Main Connection. And I and every time I raced him, he just smoked me. Yeah, but he was my age, you know, and, and he yeah. was an expert. Uh, but he was a local, you know, kid that was that was very good. Um, mm-hmm. One of the older guys there was Rainer Matthews. Oh my gosh, that guy was big. That's an old name to remember, but he was a, a just an amazing um, power, you know, power rider. He would just come to train. And, yeah, you know, and um, there was a lot of names that came out of that track. Um, Gordy Tyler. Oh yeah, is another name. He was on Phelps too, right? Uh, I believe so. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a few 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 big names, and then um, that same year it was the East Coast Nationals, and I raced intermediate there, and I think I I made the main one of the races. Oh, there you go. Here's your surprise call. That's my surprise call. Yeah, absolutely. What's up, Bud Man? What's up, Robbie? How you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. <laughs> Has it really been a little bit? I've talked to you in years. Steve, yeah. Steve and I don't talk every day, but right. but we we should be able to catch up like it's yesterday, right? So <laughs> that's, that's right. Hey, sure. Steve, first of all, thanks for calling, and and, uh, yeah. and hopefully you got your kids to bed and all okay. And, oh, and, yeah, they're in bed. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so we won't keep you long, but the reason I wanted to ask you to do this is because when you when Robbie did the interview with Dale, which you may remember if you listen to that, I do. I do. Just like four years ago, but your name came up so many times. You were so linked to so many things that Robbie did, uh, and basically, you're—I don't know if you were an agent for him or, or just like a huge mentor type of help or what. But uh, I wanted to have you on for that reason. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, Robbie's a great friend. Definitely, 
so easy to work with, so motivated, so kind, so like helpful, sort of humble, like pretty unreal for all the success that Robbie had, but he just like kept such a level head. Mm-hmm. So even from day one. So I lived in Richmond, Virginia and Williamsburg, Virginia and Winston Salem, North Carolina. So we were kind of close. Like, because mm-hmm. he was in Woodbridge, and I remember when I moved to Virginia, the legend of Robbie Miranda. <laughs> yeah, like because I was the state series in Virginia, so uh-huh. every like Robbie was probably at nationals, so he, he wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. But everybody was talking about him. Uh-huh. I was talking about your fifty-two sixteen, Robbie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. I never know. I still that. have it. I still have the gear. Really? Yeah, I do. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. No, so... We thought Milham was the only guy that rode the tough gears. I didn't realize Robbie did, too. He did, yeah. Amazing. Well, I, I'll talk about Steve. Um, <laughs> you asked if Steve was an agent mm-hmm. or, or, you know... Steve was a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I met Steve, it was at a local track, and just like he said, we, we, we raced at a, a state race or something, mm-hmm. and... Um, Steve was there selling T-shirts out of his car with Hal Hal Brindley, I'm sure his I business partner and good friend, mm-hmm. best friend at the time, right? So, um, so Steve was um, Steve was there. He just supported everybody. You know, he mm-hmm. would give shirts away, probably give more away than he would sell. You know, so mm-hmm. right. he just wanted people to have a cool shirt. And um, mm-hmm. so Steve became a friend, and then um, he Steve was eventually made his way to. Uh, working in the bike industry at DK mm-hmm. and kept me in mind and gave me advice along the way. Before I was ever involved with DK, Steve would give me advice on my career. Uh-huh. And eventually we were able to, uh, you know, work together through DK. Because mm-hmm. Steve worked there, did marketing, and then Steve was able to convince DK to, to give me a shot. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I have, I've always said it, and probably not enough to see, but um, that the everything I have done in this sport is probably because of Steve. Amazing. There's really no one else I can thank, but Steve has gotten me in the right place mm-hmm. in every move that I've ever made in BMX. Right. Absolutely. You did the work, Robbie. You did the work. No, so, no. But thank and, you. Yeah, you you you're too humble to to even accept that, Steve. But that's uh, that's true. And I will tell you, like for example, I got a call. I was racing for Cyclecraft or somebody, and mm-hmm. someone called from Hustler BMX, right? And yeah. I, I was like, Hustler sounds like a factory yeah. team, right? <laughs> right. And I was like, Steve, what do you think about this Hustler? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, it, I guess you could, but why don't you hold out for something better? You know. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being DK down the road. Uh-huh. And every step along the way with DK and any co-sponsors after, Steve was 100% involved uh-huh. and took no um, nothing from me mm-hmm. to, to help me with those, those, those um, moves I made. Right. Never asked for anything. Uh, I wish I could give him the world, but, you know, uh, all I can say is thanks to Steve for us. Well, thanks, Robbie. Yeah. Anyway. So there you, you go, know, Steve. Is, so, I, Robbie, I think you were 15 expert when we met. Maybe at South Park or Williamson, ABA, North Carolina. Remember that one? Um, the indoor like, one? 
we were all at all those same races because you were traveling from we were both traveling from Virginia. Mm-hmm. But I remember remember the cruiser shootout we did for Snap. Yes. So you flew out there on your own dime, so Cyclecraft could be in the magazine. And my mind was blown because you're like pretty young at the time. You just like take off school, get a ticket, fly out there. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. You're just like, yeah, I'm, I mean, that's what if you're sponsoring a rider, that's what you want them to do. But I wouldn't dream that you anyone would do that. So that was really what opened my eyes. And then I was starting to do design work for DK, and I told Bill Danishek, like, this is the guy, this is the guy we need to, need to sponsor. So Good choice. Well, I didn't. Yeah. Pay, I didn't pay for that trip. My mother working two jobs did, so I have to thank her for that. <laughs> you know, our, our parents are our sponsors, right? Even though we're wearing a sponsor's uniform, right. there was no money coming in from Cyclecraft, right? Right. And right, right. and um, so, yeah, I re- I definitely remember that, and I remember how professional like the Snap Cruiser shootout was. And it was like, here I am from the East Coast. I've never been past the Mississippi River. <laughs> To the west coast and i'm in phoenix with all these top pros and we're all trading bikes and hanging out the track and i was like this is where i want to be mm-hmm. i want this i want this you know i want to be a part of this and i can be i just gotta figure out a way to do it mm-hmm. and steve opened the doors and i just had to find a way through them right right you know it's it's awesome i mean to hear to hear a relationship like this that was so successful and it's it sounds like steve you're quite a mentor and just kept him, kept him level-headed, helped keep him. Not that he couldn't have done it on his own. I don't, I don't know his personality that well, but it certainly helped. I'm sure the way you mentored and you know. I mean, did. Robbie's riding style, just kind of what I liked in the Snap days and the DK days, mm-hmm. was same. Just like you, Joe. Do you remember I would like try to find you at a race where we we're having a two B dirt jumping contest and like, mm-hmm. come on, Joe, buy a shirt and we'll let you in the contest, like. Mm-hmm. I would be trying to convince you, and you know, you'd be like, "Oh my, this is my motor number." So, you know, sometimes you wouldn't be able to make your your run. But that that's like the era of BMX that I love. And Robbie is like, like obviously a great racer, but also just amazing bike rider and trail rider. And like that's that was really fun. I, that's a, those are the people I wanted to work with at Two B uh-huh. and at Snap and at DK. And like that's what this is all about. It's just surrounding yourself with people that you really like and respect and want to spend time with. So that's, you know, I have so many great memories of, of Robbie in the DK days. In fact, when I sold this, the DK sponsorship with 1-800-COLLECT, Robbie went with me. He, he went to the meeting. Remember, Robbie? I do. I remember oh, that. Nice. So he yeah. was like the athlete representative <laughs> with you, kind of? Yeah, but it was, it was just like, so... One Year Collect was already sponsoring motocross. And our pitch to One Year Collect was like, your product, Collect Calls, are for people who don't have money. BMX people can't afford motocross. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, you want people who don't have any money? You want BMX. So, okay. <laughs> we, <laughs> funny. We, went, we went to that meeting. I brought Robbie, which he didn't say much. It still went really well. It was really casual just meeting the one guy that ran the program. But and they knew we didn't have money. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's right because, uh, Steve, you know, like you took a gamble on that sales pitch. We were in a, in a corporate office 
pitching this to people that sponsored uh, Jeremy McGrath and Supercross, and you're trying to convince them that this small company from Ohio that didn't even have the trailer at all, we just had a picture of a trailer with their logo <laughs> and you know superimposed on it, and then we're going to market to this poor group of people that travel around the country in Lance campers, like Joe, right? And um, yeah. and need to use the, the payphone and the and the and the horse barn that we're racing in. <laughs> that, and, it, and it worked. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. But they loved it. The people wanted to collect absolutely loved BMX. And they loved that everyone is stuck at the race all day. It's like such a captive audience. That's the truth, like, yeah. If they want to give stuff away, give away trading cards or kazoos or frisbees or whatever. Right. <laughs> like, there was a long line of kids that wanted that stuff because they were just, you know, hours and hours until the next moto. Right. Right. But it was crazy because Robbie was really comfortable in that like corporate setting. And I remember we would go to when we collect for corporate training. Remember all the PR training we did, Robbie? Oh yeah, yeah. We had to go and uh, me, myself, Neil Wood, Chris Doyle, and maybe I think Fonz. Remember Nathan yeah, Fonz? Yeah, Colin, yeah. Colin um, Winkleman too. Colin Winkleman. We all went to Washington D.C. This special trip to go to their corporate office where they had an actual media training team in their corporate office and wow. they they did mock interviews with us and they wanted us to sound like we were racing NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> Everything was when Aaron collect. Uh, hey, you know, today uh, we had a great race out here. Um, I went in here and collect. DK was uh, snapping out the gate. Right. Um, after I was fortunate enough to win, went, home, went over to the payphone. He was going to collect to call my, my mom. And, um, you know, just, just as many times as you can drop it without sounding corny, that's right. what they wanted to hear, right? So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, that, and that couldn't have been easy because, uh, Steve, you're uh, how old are you now? 52. 52, yeah. So we're within a year of each other. Robbie, uh, uh, you uh, mid-40s? 46. 46? Yeah. So I think at that time, that's pretty impressive too. Going to the corporate meeting, you're you're exactly right. I mean, not many people at that age have that kind of skill and and just able to articulate well for that kind of that kind of interview. You know, uh, we wanted to do so much cool stuff. Like GT was doing so much cool stuff. You know, they had mm. TV shows and trailers and pros and town cars and all that stuff. Like we wanted to be able to like not go head to head with GT, but we wanted to do cool stuff that DK certainly couldn't afford. Right. So it took like Airwalk or DC Shoes or Cobalt Tools or One Air Collect or Bright Guard Extreme Sport. Like it took their money. Uh -huh. And I'll give DK a lot of credit. They they paid everyone really well. Even like remember Todd Everett? What was the name? Uh, Todd Everett. He was just like a freestyle kid or guy from North Carolina. Like he was getting paid. Like once we had One Air Collect money Everybody's getting paid, so it was pretty awesome that yeah. Yeah, I do remember Steve. That like, you know, Neil and uh, not only think, yeah, Neil was on the team then, but like we would calculate how much we believe the contract was and like how much everyone may get paid. And like, I don't think there was any money that was getting put away. Like it was going back to the team. Like right. it was getting oh, it used. Was. Yeah. So there was no profit. It went back into the program. Right. Yeah, definitely, that's definitely true. It, well, it sounds like all these sponsors absolutely, well, they made that trailer possible. They kind of helped. DK alone, there's no way they could have gotten to that point, right? 
just can't support that kind of thing. So for you to grab all those sponsors in order to fund the team and allow DK to, to not to be involved without spending a ton of money, it's amazing. It's amazing what you pulled yeah, it was off. Fun. It was really fun. It was, it was amazing. Actually, it was probably the perfect timing because it's before social media. Mm-hmm. So it's like now those companies would be interested in robbing, not TK One and Eric Collect. You know, sure. like they're just going to be aligned with one. Even the last year of the Red Card Extreme Sport sponsorship, they just came to DK and like, hey, we just want to sponsor Chris Doyle. Oh. That was they did. Like the DK deal was done. And they just wanted, I think they wanted because they had like one skateboarder, one snowboarder, one everything, and all of a sudden they had like this BMX and freestyle team and all this stuff, and it was easier just to have like the, the one of each sport guy. Sure. So, when did that happen? Maybe uh, 04, 05. Oh, okay. So they still, they were in it for a few years then, huh? Yeah, he sponsored, he sponsored DK. Like, when Winter Collect, even the last year Winter Collect was around, no one was making collect calls anymore. No. But no, I'm they going. still said, like, oh, well, you guys are such a good value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep doing it. So we were one of the last things that had. Do you, do you remember when Neil Wood fought Greg Romero with Phoenix? I wasn't there, but I do remember the story, yeah. Uh, it was on the cover, and Neil had, yeah, Neil had Greg in a headlock on the cover of BMX Plus. <laughs> That's right. And there was a right. one. There was a one collect logo down his sleeve. And I was so worried that they were going to be like drop the program, or is it going to look bad? But oh. they loved it. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. Like, yeah, they sponsored pro wrestling. They, they got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lucky again on that one. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Man, sorry, I was just flipping, looking for a picture. I know I have a picture of the trailer with my stuff here, but um, yeah, and I think uh, you have to tell me whether this was a joke or not, Robbie, but I remember uh, there was a quote from you when you interviewed uh, with BMX Ultra, which I'm not sure who was running that, Steve, or if you guys remember. Um, That wasn't Jerry Landrum, was it? BMX Ultra? He was an Australian. Oh, okay. Yeah, Australian, yeah. Okay, well, what what Robbie said in that, and this kind of goes along with what you're what you're talking about, but uh, hang on, I'm trying to find the quote exactly. Hang on, talk amongst yourselves here. Well, Let's Steve, see. springboarding off that when I, that, that meeting we had, and how you know at the time DK didn't have major sponsors, and they were trying to do this big program, but Steve was able to get the one hander collect on the side of the trailer and that just was a springboard for other sponsors. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, one hander collects big, we want to be with DK and one hander collect. So right. you got other people jumping on and we had a pretty good co sponsorship package for several mm-hmm. years. Yeah. You know, all because of that one meeting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that one meeting helped more more people than uh, right. just that you would, would have ever hoped for. So here, let me just give you this quote real quick because it does it does kind of connect with the Neil Wood uh, fighting. But uh, in this BMX Ultra inter- interview, they threw the question at Robbie that said, if there was one thing, one rule in BMX you could change, what would it be? And Robbie said, there'd be more contact, more fights, more anger instead of happy pros being good role models. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Well, so 
I think it was a joke, uh, but somewhat somewhat real, maybe. I don't know, Robbie. What, what do you? I think yeah, that just goes back to you know we got to just have more fun and 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 race. Racing is a contact sport, and we should be more animated and 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 you know don't be afraid to. Knock a guy down and get back up and dust yourself off. You know, yeah, hockey does it. So, yeah, exactly. you know, everyone loves the hockey. Part. Hockey's popular and they do fight. And <laughs> not that we should be fighting BMX, but sometimes you know it'd be cool to have a little fight once in a while, right? <laughs> there definitely weren't enough people doing it for sure. You couldn't count on Chris Muller to to, to uh, ruffle everyone's feathers. I, I mean, the fights that we've had in BMX over the years, we're still talking about them. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we will still for the next. Several years, uh-huh. you know. One of the best videos I've ever I've ever seen is the Chris Muller and Harry Leary shoe <laughs> and the fight. That I mean, and if we had video of Neil Woods fight, oh, man. It, it would be great to see. Because I don't I don't know why that's not floating around the internet somewhere. Maybe because video cameras just weren't weren't rolling on that day. Right. But we no one had a cell phone. Yeah. Right. Right. No one had a cell phone camera, mm-hmm. and it was just the. I'm not sure. Was it Mark Losey that took those pictures, Steve? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Those are classic photos. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. We're still talking about it. So it's, yeah. maybe that's one of the one of the things we could do for PMX. Um, but but anyhow, yeah, Steve, I just wanted to have you on to talk about the, the have you uh, talk with Robbie like you just did. Just about everything you were able to to help with and pull off and help more than just Robbie. I mean, everyone that was on that team. Uh, but well, amazing. It's fun. That's, 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 I actually have a question for you, Robbie. Okay. We were working together at the time, but how, like, after the racing and winning the Triple Crown race at Woodward and then win the X Games downhill, how did you have motivation to go back to regular BMX after that, BMX racing? Um, I was just telling Joe before we started the podcast that that was the down the downturn of my career, and I remember being at a normal BMX national, and uh, it was like a week or two after the X Games, and me and Chris Sanchez were sitting together. We didn't make the main, and uh, we looked at each other and we're like, "This isn't for us anymore. Like this is we don't fit here. We need more downhill BMX because we're not." We're not, this isn't for us. Mm-hmm. We're not clipped in. We're not having fun. And that was a turning point where I knew, like, if this downhill BMX didn't continue, then this this may be a whole different game for us, you know. It wasn't fun anymore, Steve. And that's that's probably why it got harder to go to those races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, lo- I mean, I love the, the era. I love those races. Just, I mean, I'm serious really happy to see you do so well and um it's crazy to me because having actually gold medal is so like if you're on a plane if you're on a flight somewhere and you told somebody you're the actually gold medal to anything <laughs> like it's something everyone understands like this whole my whole life you're always trying to explain to people what bmx is or <laughs> even when i owned verde people like my neighbors think it's a bike shop you know like oh, right. you're always you're always trying to like legitimize what we do <laughs> yeah. to, to the masses and the X Games is like one super legitimized PMX in a lot of ways but the fact that you won the X Games in like the gnarliest event is still pretty incredible this day 
Yeah, just to have a piece of it. Um, and you're right, it is a household name. People associate the X Games forever that you were a part of that, and they know it's they know it's televised. They know it's a big deal. They think you're on the same scale as Tony Hawk and Dave Mira and Sean White and all these other guys. So yeah. to put your name in that same hat, you know, it's pretty cool. Um, it's amazing. It's something you should never take for granted. I, mean, I can't imagine you do, but that's pretty unreal. It was 21 years ago, so... Probably you around know, here somewhere, right? It's behind you, right there. It, yeah, on the jersey. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a lucky man, Steve. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and that so jersey cool. that he's looking at still has the dirt from Woodward on it. Man, gosh. Yeah, and, and there's the uh, there's the sponsors. Yeah, that was uh, after one in a click. We had a right guard um, and mm-hmm. a bunch of co-sponsors there. Yeah, were you involved in those still, uh, Steve, or were you had you moved on from? Uh, yeah, yeah. That Cobalt Tools is Lowe's, like Lowe's Home Improvement Store. Oh, and really? I remember going, <laughs> going to Lowe's to pitch BMX. Uh-huh. And I brought a DK bike. My, my pitch there was, if you're sponsoring NASCAR or anything to adults, they already have tools. We need tools. <laughs> and like if you can get BMX kids to buy Cobalt, they'll continue to buy Cobalt for the rest of their life. And that's how, like, how they'll start their tool kit. Uh-huh. And, and they liked it and they, they, that's, they were sold but they looked at the bike and it had a DK iron cross sprocket on it and the guy in the meeting stopped he's like is that a Nazi symbol? oh man I was wondering if you would say that the, yeah, yeah. It, it, it has a little bit of a resemblance you know? yeah it's like, I mean West Coast Choppers wasn't a thing yet if, if West Coast Choppers had been around it I'm sure it would have been like sure I probably wouldn't have batted an eye, but yeah, that right. was like trying to think on your feet and like keep the meeting going in a positive direction. Right? It worked out. We got sponsored. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anything else you guys want to hit on? No, I always wanted to tell you this, Steve, but um, I think about it all the time as we get older. But uh, one day, you know, we were probably talking about like life or something, and. Um, you know, maybe I was going, maybe I wasn't, I don't know, transitioning out of the sport. But you told me, like, I said I'm worried about, like, I told you I was worried about, like, what my future will look like. And you told me, why are you worried? Everything you, you do, you'll be you'll be good at. You've told me that. I don't know if you ever remember that, but um, that resonates with me all the time. I meant it. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I still... I still remember that, and I appreciate that because I needed that. Um, I needed that boost to coming out of sport to like try to you know be someone at something you know. But uh, a lot of people struggle with the after BMX life, and um, that helped. So I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I, I, you're again. I just describe you as assertive. Like obviously, being a sheriff, like. Makes perfect sense that you're a sheriff to me. <laughs> just because, like, you would leap into action no matter what was happening. In fact, at the cruiser shootout in Arizona, we were at some restaurant and there was a mouse in there. <laughs> People in the restaurant were freaking out, standing on the booth, like standing on booths and going nuts. And Robbie's running around the restaurant, like moving the trash can and grabbing the mouse. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story, man. Their mind. You just jumped into action. 
Public service was my thing. You should. I should have never went pro, man. I'd be retired by now if I just skipped skipped all the racing, right? <laughs> Thank God you didn't. Well, that that also goes. Uh, years and years later, I was walking down Main Street, Huntington Beach, and a bunch of people were running towards me. And I was I was with my girlfriend or something at the time, and and, and actually it was Scott Toth who is from Ohio. And a longtime BMX racer and Huffy team manager, yeah. he was a, a manager at the surf shop. He was chasing a guy that stole something, and the guy was skateboarding away from him. So naturally, I had to jump in the foot chase with, with Scott <laughs> Toth, right? So here I am, like years before I ever got into my new career, my current career, that I was, you know, me and another BMX guy from Ohio are chasing someone down the Huntington Beach Street, right? <laughs> Good stories. And you caught him, right? Yeah, yeah, Scott got him. I didn't touch him. Oh, okay. I'll give Scott the credit on that. <laughs> That's great. But anyway, Steve, thank you for everything, and we will catch up, I promise. Yeah, we've, I can't wait to listen to this. We've been both very busy with our families, and you have a beautiful family, and you're a great father to your kids, and and I just thank wish you, you luck and, and everything. So thank you so much. Yeah, all the best to you and Michelle and your family. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Miss the days of the dirt jumping contest. <laughs> yeah, they, they were fun. Trying to get you to sign up. Right, right. Cool. Hey, you got me to sign up for a couple of them. Stop at Steve's. Yeah, stop at Steve's house next time you come across the. Country. Oh yeah, yeah. Where are you at? Are you in Ohio? Or are you back in I'm Carolina? In Columbus. Yeah. Oh okay. Columbus. Oh well, we'll have to see each other maybe this winter if you head up to uh, Cleveland. Yeah. That, that would be fun, but but uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for calling. I know it's yeah. uh, it's late your time, and and uh, no but, worries. But I really appreciate it. It, it certainly adds a, a huge piece to the interview that uh, that I, I really felt you need to be a part of. Cool. Uh, thanks, guys. All right, Steve. Take care. Thank yeah. you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Uh, I was uh, very surprised to get a call from Steve. So. Oh, good. Well, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm glad it worked out because he, I knew it would work out with him because he's, he just has his stuff together and I knew it would just, it would work out. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, Steve Buddendeck, uh, Corey Muth, mm -hmm. I've known these guys since I was 12, 15 mm -hmm. years old. I mean, this is 30 years. Right. So crazy? And we can pick up like mm -hmm. it was yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, I owe Steve everything for this career. Right. Or my... Pat, my journey in this, this. Yeah. I'm just sitting here today, I mean, Steve, yeah. Steve paved the way, mm -hmm. you know, but he's right. It, it, I agree a hundred percent, but he's right that you're the one that had to put it. You, you had to make it happen. Yeah. You had to get to where you Steve got. Steve pointed so. that direction and, and I took his advice and mm -hmm. trusted him, trusted his decisions and he fought for me. Mm -hmm. There's a couple times where he fought for me and, and convinced people to believe in me mm -hmm. and give me that chance to uh, give. Just like he sold sponsorships to 100 Collect and Cobalt Tools, like he said, mm -hmm. he was able to convince people that they didn't need to sponsor um, the guy that was winning all the races. They right. need to sponsor the guy that's having fun and is out there just doing his thing. Right. 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 That was a... It was a great choice, and it was honest selling on his part. Yeah, you know he truly believed in you, yeah. and still does. I yeah. like the part where he said that uh, he just knows that you, whatever it is, you're going to succeed at it because I, you're a determined individual. I would, I would yeah. say. I take that advice to heart, and mm -hmm. I'm glad he, you know, 
yeah, he's just been very positive in my mm-hmm. life and, and done, done a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, it was it was great to hear his voice and, mm-hmm. and have you guys uh, interact yep. through that because it's just very cool. Thank yeah, you for setting that up. Oh, no problem. Yeah. And, and it's let's face it, not not in a pessimistic way, but it doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. You know, the story like yours is is pretty nice. It's a it's a pretty cool story. But uh, speaking of Corey Moon, I had someone asked a question about him. Uh, let's see. Oh, this was from Chris Doyle. He said, uh, opportunistic worlds win when Corey Muth rode off the track. So, speaking of Corey Muth, um, that would have been amateur, of course, right? So that would have been 15 years old, maybe? Um, I raced with Corey when I was 13 years old. Yeah. Yeah. But it was for a world's title? Uh, I don't remember that. I don't. I remember Corey was already winning worlds and making worlds mains mm-hmm. before I really got started in BMX. He's got. That. He had a. Um, he started well before I did, and was very successful mm-hmm. with Coastal BMX. Right. Uh, Homer Kroom from yeah. from North Carolina. Corey was traveling to Europe for na- uh, for the worlds you know, before I even started. Holland, I think. Yeah, I saw a video of him get a second or third and I don't remember if it was expert or cruiser but it was a hard one mm-hmm. and he was he was in there he was top three yeah but uh so yeah maybe it, could it have been a, a national title that maybe Chris was talking about Chris Doyle was asking about I don't know what Chris Doyle was talking about yeah but um yeah there's been a lot of races with Corey and throughout the years we've 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 had great races together and always remain great friends. Mm-hmm. Although I haven't talked to him in a long time, I need to catch up with him, but I know he's doing good. Good. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hey, we'll stick with a couple of Doyle questions if you want. Because I've, right. I've got a whole bunch of questions for you. Um, did we, well, we got to Virginia. We got to the, the influencers of, of people you looked up to, and like Rainer Matthews, which I wish he didn't stop so early. He was just... He was so good. He was like a mysterious pro in my eyes. I was 12 years old, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And he would show up to the track in his you know, sweatpants, and he'd just smoke everyone on the first straight. Didn't talk to nobody. Didn't come with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know what races he went to. I just knew that he was the fastest guy I've ever seen on the first straight. Yeah. And then he'd disappear. Like, he'd yeah. do five gates and disappear. Um, so wherever Random Matthews ended up, mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope he got... You know, I hope he got some wins, and yeah. I think he went on to college football or something like that. But really, okay, yeah, he was a little bit older. He was older than than I was, so I never really talked to him. But sure, sure, he was a big influence on how fast you could really go on a bike. Yeah, say that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He was pure power. The times he raced it seemed like he won, and, and that was kind of it. You didn't see him much more. Yeah, it's almost like it was too easy, and he just had to go for another challenge. I don't know, but pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh. Okay, let me uh, let me flip because there were some questions related. Oh, you know what I was looking for in these? I I brought these because in I think '97 you turned pro, right? Yes. So I think it looks like from the papers because I was trying to narrow it down, even though I know I know you could answer the question, but just familiarize myself with back then because not that easy to remember back then nowadays. Um, but you, it it looked like you turned in the middle of the year. Do you remember when you turned? I, I believe I turned uh, A Pro or Super Class in NBL, right? So in '97, and uh-huh. it was fast. It was like not even the I was 
double A by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a good run. There was a good races, uh, including South Park, Evansville, um, Winston Salem, all tracks that I really loved, and I got good wins at those. And I think you had to make like twenty two thousand dollars. Yeah, I think it was. And you're we making three hundred dollars a win. Uh-huh. A six, you could have a six hundred dollar weekend, and you're a pro in like up two months. Yeah, you know. So right. uh, my my super class season uh-huh. was short but very fun. And we had some good competition, and it was great racing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the guys in there, I remember Jeff Dean, um, very, very fast racer. Um, I always respected him uh-huh. and his hustle. You know, he worked hard. Uh, Kevin Tomko was in there with us. Oh, okay. Um, quite, a, quite a few riders. Which, you know, it's funny. The side, sorry, I hope I'm not pulling you off a, a subject, but... Um, uh, there, well, there's the trailer. That's yeah, this, what I was this, trying to find before. This is the trailer, and this is the tour of all tours. Mm-hmm. The 1997 DK BMX Summer Tour featuring DK Pros Neil Wood and Robbie Miranda. Uh, special appearances by Dusty Wiedemann, Tad Gregory, Matt the Flying Squirrel, Masick. Mm. This this tour I, I could talk about for, for hours. Yeah. Um, in today's standards, compared to what Nick Long is doing, mm-hmm. this is nothing. This is like a, this is probably 30 stops between May and August. Uh-huh. I think Nick, Nick Long does 70 clinics a year, right? But um, this trailer for how uh-huh. cool Steve Bundek made it look mm-hmm. with the graphics, um, you'd never know that Neil and I lived in this trailer for four months. Wow. And it wasn't set up to live in. <laughs> Oh, okay, no. so it wasn't built out. At it all was not built out at all. Anything. It was bare bones inside. Oh um, we did have an air conditioner. Yeah, but you didn't just flip a switch to turn it on. You had to. We had a giant industrial generator that we had to pull out the back, put the extension cord up to the AC, and um, and sleep in this front part of the trailer. Oh man! So we slept in this trailer every night. Oh my God! Just you and Neil. Neil and I. Um, from time to time, we'd have Dusty, uh-huh. um, Dusty Wiedemann sleeping mm-hmm. on a pull-out couch. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. What was in the rest of the trailer? Nothing. <laughs> it was a billboard. Basically. It was just a billboard. There was our bikes in there, some uh-huh. easy ups. Right. A couch. That was it. So you didn't in the need ge- a... in the generator. Oh. Okay. So, uh, there was a locker. We it's... had we had we had like a, a set of lockers. Yeah. That someone got from a yard sale or something. Yeah. So we had some lockers. Right. To keep our stuff in. Right. And um, a funny story about this is that uh, during this era, the pros all always had a gallon of water with them, right? Uh-huh. Always drinking a gallon of water. Yeah. Got to stay hydrated. We're this super athlete, like the right? Gym guy. You're right. So yeah. we're always drinking a gallon of water. Yeah. And then we're making our protein shakes after the race. And uh-huh. that's just the, that was just what you did, right? Right. Um, but when you're sleeping in the trailer, mm-hmm. You had to go to the bathroom. We didn't have a bathroom. Right. So we used an empty gallon of water, right? An empty gallon. <laughs> no. And right. we kept them around in our lockers because yeah. you don't you don't want them just flying around the trailer. No. But at the same time, Neil was yeah. sponsored by Cytomax. And Cytomax had a brownish tint to it when you put it in water. Okay? All right. So naturally, I was using his Cytomax too, and we, we had Cytomax, and we had our, our pee bottles, right? I remember one day, 
Neil could still Neil still would laugh about this, but I can't, I was so thirsty and so hot coming back from a race or moto. Uh, I went in and just grabbed the Cytomax and just took a big gulp of it. It was a, a, a gallon of pee. So um, that's what we were doing. You thought this this trailer looks like we were pro living in the Ritz Carlton? Yeah. No. Yeah, like an Oscar. We were sleeping in there. Bikes in the end. Sleeping in that trailer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jeez, maybe my past weekend camper wasn't so bad yeah. after all. Yeah. At least it was made to to live so that's 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 a funny story but the camping part was yeah. a queen size mattress uh-huh. in, the, in the tongue of the trailer here yeah um we had about and neil and i shared the mattress uh-huh. and we both had sleeping bags yeah because we're about six inches away from the air conditioner this at, at this point at this part of the trailer yeah um and i always remember neil was neil's a very stubborn nice guy but he yeah. he did things his way so um, what Neil would do is he'd get in his sleeping bag with his socks on, uh-huh. and then in the morning he didn't have socks on. And over over a week or two, they're all loaded up in the bottom of his sleeping bag. <laughs> so think about all the racing and ride, trail riding and clinics we were doing. He had about 30 <laughs> pairs of socks at the bottom of his sleeping bag. <laughs> but we had, a, we had an amazing time on this tour and met so many great kids and went to so many cool mm. tracks. Yeah, uh, I think we made pennies for that mm-hmm. um because we were sending money back to dk and paying for gas and sure um but the experience was was out of this world oh, I got just it, doing that yeah and, and both of you drove this right yeah so we went to dk and they bought this dually and trailer and they said here guys yeah uh take it around the parking lot a couple times figure it out yeah, yeah and then you guys start tomorrow you got to be in uh wherever we're starting yeah akron, akron right so yeah. a four hour drive from from dayton and yeah you start tomorrow right that's crazy yeah but you adapted you figured it out yeah we we adapted we had to drive this 44 foot trailer around the country yeah yeah i'm sure it took a little bit of planning whenever you were about to park this thing because you got to figure out your way out right oh um, yeah we got it stuck multiple it. times you know uh-huh. We're lucky that thing came back in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I still can't believe it was mostly a billboard. I, yep. I just figured it was full of all, I don't know what. Nothing in just, there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in there. Oh, man. That's yep. great. Oh, that is great. So one of the things that, uh, in Dale's interview with you, uh, you talked about, I don't know what year it was, but uh, you saved the money that you made. From the clinics to to uh, put into the race in Puerto Rico, is that right? Something with clinics. Okay, well, you're probably this may be it. Um, at the end of my career, I I wanted to do something different. Instead of going to these tracks and asking them to open up on a Wednesday night mm. and collecting money from every kid or every kid's parents and then leaving. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do something different and, and go and give back. It's mm-hmm. like a give back tour. Yeah. Um, so the last tour that I did, it was 100% funded by, we, Steve helped, he got yeah. sponsors for us. He got uh-huh. Fox, DC, and DK to kind of pitch in money mm-hmm. just to cover the expenses. Sure. We needed to go to, I picked like 12 tracks, mm-hmm. 12 big tracks that we had uh, good relationships with. Right. And they were great family-run um, tracks. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go there and do a free clinic for them. And not only on top of that, we wanted to give them 
I, I think we collected money. Yeah. And whatever we collected, we gave them back. Oh, that's so cool. Fox made these big checks, like a big check. Yeah. So if we had 20 kids, 20 bucks times 20 kids, you know, we right. give the track all the money. Sure. And and that was that was great because they need that. Yeah. They need that to fix up the track or mm-hmm. or turn the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were at you know, over the years we asked these these families to to come out and groom the track all day so right. we could come in and make money. Right. You know, it wasn't any money that we were actually saving mm-hmm. because sure. it costs money to drive this thing around. But right. um, it was great to give back to the tracks one last time. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. That's that's really amazing because you're right. Some tracks have, you know, if they get a good moto count, moto count through the year, then they, they can put some in the bank for, for the track. But most most tracks, even today, are they're just making it by. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I can look at this list here, and there was Evansville sticks out in my mind. They had a great mm-hmm. um, great group of people there. Mm-hmm. Larry Ward, I'll say his name. He, he's a, a guy that was the nicest guy, and his family um, helped run the track there, and they always welcomed us. Opened it up, got the riders to show up because I mean we didn't have advertising. This is it. This is yeah. the MBL newspaper was all we had for advertising. Right. So it wasn't social media hype that we have mm. that they have now. Right. So if we came to the track and got twenty five kids, it's because they were doing the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Don't pay attention to me. Yeah. So it was nice to to do that, and I appreciate all the work that these families did to get kids out to their tracks. Yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty cool idea. So was that your idea to do that? Yeah, yep. And, and with it, the kids all got stuff too. I'm looking at yeah. um, some of the stuff we used to give the kids here. It says we they got two hours pro instruction, of course. They got a t-shirt, uh-huh. a video, a sticker pack, a poster, grips, autographs, ton of fun and more. So that's a pretty good deal for 25 bucks. Absolutely. But that's 1997, you know. Right. I think clinics now cost $60, $70. Yeah. So right. Price price has gone up. Yeah. The picture I'm looking for is is going to be in here, but you had at, at one of the nationals, I believe it was, uh, you set up a you had your tent set up, but you were guessing kids' weight was it or get what were you guessing? But uh, it was just a way to make it fun, and there was a huge, a huge line of kids that were. Oh, that's probably. Probably one of the races we acquired or found some kind of spin the wheel thing, and maybe one hundred collect brought it out because they had a lot of marketing, oh, okay. fun stuff for for that. But um, yeah, some of us, yeah, one hundred collect had a lot of stuff to give away. They had a lot of, um, you know, they had all kinds of stuff that we give away: playing cards, yo-yos. Oh, okay. they're very good at like booth marketing, right? right? So. Um, it might have been what it was. Yeah, it could have, could have been. Oh, I just stumbled across the dirt circuit, DK Dirt Circuit that you were in. Uh, you made the finals in this one, and it was, I think, uh, let's see, this would have been North Carolina. This is the Tanglewood National. And you, uh, you got eighth. Very kind, uh, Rural Erickson. Did I get last? Nope. <laughs> nope. You got. Third to last. You, oh, get, there you, you go. got eight out of ten. Probably because I raced that day too. Well, probably, but, but you but, get, 
You made 30 bucks. But you know what? You know? I couldn't resist, right? <laughs> I'll risk my whole summer doing a jump comp for 30 bucks. Yeah. Um, that, that's, the, that's just how it was. There was no reason not to do the jump comp, right? Right. I was exposed to jump comps at BMX races since I was a kid. That's what mm -hmm. they did. After, after every race at Columbia, Maryland, there was a jump jam. Um. Really? Yeah. So, um, every every race in Columbia, on a we race Sundays, and I remember everyone would stick around for about an hour and yeah. just jump this step up and do tricks. So yeah. there it is. Okay. Yeah. This is probably something with. Uh, yeah. Guess your weight game. Uh -huh. I don't remember that, but it seems pretty cool. Yeah. I had to guess your weight. And if I was off by more than five pounds, you wanted a banner. <laughs> so everybody wins, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's cool. <laughs> it is. It was really cool. I just stumbled upon it. I was like, man, Robbie did a lot of cool stuff. Well, I'll probably chalk this up to Steve Bundek marketing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, how is she going to get kids over to the tent and have them hang out, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, maybe it had something to do with it. Again, you had to deliver. You had to do your part. Well, yeah. So... Whether it was great ideas from Steve and you delivering, it doesn't matter how it happened, it happened. And uh, I'm sure it was appreciated then. I'm sure it always always is. Whenever whenever you do something uh, for the riders, the parents love it. And I'm sure the riders love it too, but the parents are are pretty grateful. Um, so I've got I've got more stuff before we get into uh, uh, before we get into downhill, because that's when you really started to shine, right? So, did you do? Well, actually, we'll hang on. Let me flip through just real quick here. Uh, hang on, because you're going to know some of these people. When you were on Cyclocraft, you did you get any national titles? Because I remember you being in a tough class. Did you get NBL titles as an amateur? Yeah. So my amateur career, if I can remember this right, uh, was pretty short. I started racing as a beginner about 11 years old mm -hmm. um at this with that said i remember racing 12 expert too okay it happened fast yeah like i said i started in missouri came back to maryland northern virginia and i was expert within that year right uh, was i fast enough to race expert in the national circuit no mm -hmm. but i still went out to those races uh -huh. i remember going to florida in orlando and getting in line for the 12 year old practice and one of the staging volunteers told me i couldn't go practice because i wasn't i was snaking i was oh, i was too right, right, right. i was too big to be a 12 year old so i must okay. not have been 12. Right. and i was devastated you know because mm -hmm. i came all the way to florida i was only going to get three gate starts anyway because it's so crowded yeah and um that was that was a so I remember being there, and I did eventually get on the track because yeah. some kids vouched for me, so that was good. Um, yeah, they did divide it. I think it was 14 and under. And but from starting at 11, next thing you know, I'm 12X, I'm 13X, I'm racing Alexis Figuera, uh -huh. Anthony Reyes. I raced Shea Pierce, who was on GT. Yeah. Um, all these big names that had been racing for years before me. Mm -hmm. um, TJ Taylor, Miles Davis, Corey Muth, Eric Cunningham from Chicago. Um, Ronnie Pacino from Up Your Way in yeah. Rhode Island, mm -hmm. John Gall from Your Way. Yeah, uh, these are these are all big names, and we all had pretty good sponsors, and we mm -hmm. were all on the circuit. Right, you know, 
Um, so it was very competitive, and that competitive racing at that age really helped progress things along until I was 16, you know, 17. Sure. Um, when I turned 16, okay, I think I won, if you're talking titles, I think someone reminded me that I must have won uh, oh. National Age Group and NBL Class and Cruiser 13 Expert. Yeah, it was Dan Danny Johnson. He had said, how great of a feeling was it to get the, num the NBL number one plate in 15X and Cruiser in 92? Uh, maybe he's off. Maybe he's right. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it sounds accurate. And yeah, I so, think I had the points. I just had to go to the Grands and do well. And I think I got first in class or first in uh -huh. Cruiser and second and uh, one or the other. But pretty big deal at that age Absolutely. To, to pull it off because you have to do the circuit you have to go to the grand you have to make mm -hmm. the main yeah. and to win the main win the title right uh, i believe randy stumphauser and alexis figuera were in those races but they just didn't have the points right well so they were they were they were you know they had aba and nbl sure. to do sure um but being, that was a big deal you're being yeah. too modest yeah they they may not they may not have had that many races but they were really good, so oh, yeah. so yeah. They, you know they must not have won the races they went to. So either way, the consistent guy was leading, and the consistent guy won when he had to, which was you. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's pretty cool. I mean, there was a there was a group, uh, I should say, a, a range of expert races that we we all the older guys loved to watch. You know, it was it was the classes that would have Timmy Strilicki and Ronnie Gasket. Work your way down. You get Irochi, and you get people like you. They were just there's that that chunk of expert classes that were just awesome to watch every single time when it came around to main time. I'm sure it was a larger accomplishment than uh, than you're you're letting on, but I think we're gonna deal with that more and more <laughs> through this conversation because you're a pretty humble guy. Uh, but so Danny wanted to know how great a feeling it was. So did you feel like that a lot of you know big sense of accomplishment? Yeah, it did. I did. It was a big deal to to get the job done. You know, mm -hmm. I knew I would have had to do. And as an amateur, just not, I think you just have to not crash, right? right. You don't right. want to go that far and crash. And um, I knew I had to do well against the big names from California. Mm -hmm. And that was at 13 years old. So I didn't know where my career was going to go. I didn't know. How far you could go with BMX at that age, uh -huh. um, and I just kept racing after that and uh -huh. progressing through the years, right? You know, and and it finally ended up in the superclass. You know, right. and you made it work. I mean, yeah. and if you look in the uh, after you turn pro, if you look in these, you're in the mains, and uh, these only go as far as uh, I didn't bring anything into '98. So a lot of it super class because I think ninety eight toward the end is when you were you were you had turned up you made your money and you turned up uh, so I don't have it in here but pretty quickly you were making mains maybe you weren't winning them but you were making double A mains which it's not easy you know uh, and I'm sure it wasn't because it was a small race pretty accomplished I think you were quickly as a yeah I as think I started. Team. I think I started racing at 11, and mm -hmm. I was in a double A main at 18. That's insane yeah. to me. It, it it's really pretty is. cool. And there's a small handful of people that could pull that off, and you're one of them. So pretty impressive. Yeah, I just didn't have the you know start when I was five, six years old like a lot of guys. Yeah. yeah. But Frankie Closak. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like him. Yeah. So team wise, I forgot to ask you about this. So, so it went from Phelps to Cyclecraft. Well, I really uh, the way the way my career went mm-hmm. is I my first sponsor was mom and dad. I had a right. Robinson uniform and okay. a Robinson bike. Yeah. Um, that was the first race bike. And then I got on this team called UPC. And it stood for United Painting Contractors. Really? It was run by a guy named Bill Zimmerman out of Maryland, uh-huh. his son. And he sponsored some big names uh, that you may have heard of. Chris Acacia yeah. from NorCal. Mike Hayek really? was on the team. And uh, those were like their core you know, national riders. But I was on the, the team yeah. at a local level. But yeah. I still got to tag along to some of the races. Uh-huh. Uh, UPC for a little while. Um, and then... Coca-Cola. Oh, actually, I could throw a Rockville BMX in there. I oh, raced for okay. Rockville BMX for a little while, yeah. you know, in Maryland. Uh, Coca-Cola was uh, after UPC. That's a Cape Cod team. Yeah. Up in uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. And there was a, quite a few people on that team. So you had Vedessa on that one, right? Yep. Uh, yep. I'm just seeing if you're at the same time because actually I think everyone that was on there and then, then it ended. So it was you guys were together for the time that it ran. But uh, there were some people from out of state. Besides, who else was on that Coke team that you remember? Uh, Chill Phil. Oh yeah, Chill of, Phil. Philip Donnell. Yep, he was in he was in uh, the Washington D.C. area, Maryland. Yeah. So him and I were down that way. We were the further south. Yeah. Most guys were up in Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Yeah, Rhode Island. Yep. Yeah, it's, I think uh, Court Cormier. Uh, oh geez, who else? I don't know if I said Chris Dicuto. Yep, Chris Dicuto. Um Maltezos or no? Yep, the, Dave Maltezos. Yep, these are all, you're yeah, bringing back yeah. some names now. And Alicia maybe? Alicia Maltezos, yep. She was on there. Yeah. So it was a pretty good team. Oh, it was, yeah. yeah. It's, yep. It's, chill Phil, God. That, that was one of the last interviews I I did before I took the summer off from doing the podcast. I did one in uh, March, I think it was. March or April with Phil. That, that one was, it was hilarious. Phil's a, Phil's a pretty funny guy. Phil's a great guy. I've I've known Phil since I was young age too. Yeah. Yeah. He said he got past having people chase him trying to steal his bike. Oh man. <laughs> Phil Phil grew up in a rough neighborhood. Yeah. And I'm really happy that Phil stuck with bikes and, yeah. and his kids and his you know, he, yeah. he, he really did he did love BMX and mm-hmm. and it was cool to hang with Phil because Phil was so different uh-huh. than all of us kids, you know. Right. Um when I first met Phil, he was he was a rough around the edges, kind of a scary guy. Yeah. You know, I remember um, him coming to the trails and all the smoke coming out of his car, you know, when he's sitting inside waiting, you know, before the, we rode. And I was like, what is this guy doing in there? You know, <laughs> he got out and he's just the friendliest guy ever, you know. Uh-huh. So uh, Phil's great. I can't, I'd love to hang out with him again and catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so, so from there, UPC, yeah. uh, sorry, yeah. UPC, Coca Cola. Uh-huh. And then um, I was fortunate enough to get on the Cyclecraft team that was um, this, the Shag Shaughnessy Cyclecraft team. Oh, right, right. So it's a little bit different than the Brian Foster days yeah. and the Brian Colgrove and in those days. And yeah, so and Brian Irochi, myself, um, you know, and there was quite a few people from Florida on the Cyclecraft team. But um, Cyclecraft was, was a good part of my career, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. We may as well tell that Shag story since we're on the Cyclecraft topic. Oh, geez. So, 
Is this one you wanted to tell? The one well, you, you, told, you, you told me you, you told me you took a bus the other day, and it was an adventure. Uh, oh then, yeah. So yeah. I'm sixteen. I, I graduated high school at sixteen years old. No, not sixteen. Probably seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. And um, the next day, I drove to Florida. I was gonna. I was going to live with shag. I was going to paint bikes. Yeah. I was going to live the BMX dream, right? Mm -hmm. So I drove to Florida um, and ended up there. And I ended up at a race with shag in, I don't know, Tennessee or somewhere. Right. But on the way back, we were going to stop. We're, we're going through Atlanta. And, uh-huh. and um, through, you know, landline telephones, I knew this, this girl from high school was going to go to Six Flags in Atlanta with her family. I had this I had this crazy idea that I would just I'd go to Six Flags, drop me off at Six Flags. I'll meet you. I'll find a way to Florida, mm-hmm. right? And I was I just wanted to like try this, yeah, this 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 out of this find my way home thing, right? So, mm-hmm. drop my they dropped me off just just what I was wearing, uh-huh. and I go to Six Flags and I got about two hundred dollars in my pocket. You know, that's all I had. I didn't yeah. have a credit card, nothing, right? And I told Shag, hey, man, I'm going to go to Six Flags with this girl, and um, I'll find you. I'll, I'll find my way back to Daytona. You know? <laughs> so um, did the did the theme park all day and um, ended up – they had this this airline that was like 99 bucks. Yeah. I forgot the name of it. But um, I ended up back at the airport, got this flight to Orlando, mm-hmm. and now it's like 6 in the morning. Yeah. And I, I'm exhausted because we raced all day, went to Six Flags, flew all night. You know, airport all night. Uh-huh. And I'm like, how am I going to get to Daytona? I can't call Shag. You know, he's not going to come right. pick me up. Right. Um, so I took a Greyhound bus mm-hmm. from Orlando to Daytona, and it was the craziest two-hour ride ever. You know. <laughs> I, the, the, so oh, I, once I get to Daytona, oh. I didn't even know where Shag lived. Yeah. But I knew it was past Stone Edge Skate Park, all yeah. the way down this one road, and then I knew where to go. In right. Life, right. So I started walking. And then, you know, Florida in right. the middle of summer, it gets yeah. hot. Oh, right. You know? yeah. So I walked for like four hours. Oh, <laughs> I walked for about four hours and ended up pull, walking into Shag's living room, you know. You found it. Same clothes I was wearing the two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, he couldn't believe it, you know. Oh, God. So Great. I've never taken a, a Greyhound bus after that. <laughs> I did one from Memphis, Tennessee. Because I was a, I was still in high school. Same deal as as you, and uh, I got a ride to Memphis. But the family that I went with was going to another race after that the next weekend. They took the week off in between. I couldn't. I had to get back. So I took a I took a bus from Memphis all the way back to Connecticut. Oh man! And unbelievably, when when it it went through, uh, I don't think it'd be called Grand Central at that point, but it went through New York City. Dropped off a bunch, picked up more. It was to be kind of roaming around being this, you know, rural, you know, suburban kind of kid in New York City trying to find the next the next bus, the next bus number to go to. I did look confused, like, oh man, where do we go? Quickly, this dude comes up and says, I'll, I'll show you how to get to the next bus. And I'm like, something doesn't seem right here. So, uh, but he wouldn't, I couldn't shake him. He just stayed with me. And he's like, ah, I got to go over here, blah, blah, blah. And then we got close and he's like, we got to pay me for this now. Oh, yeah. Because I got you to the bus. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I was like 16. I was crapping my pants. I'm like, what am I, what do I do? I don't really have any money. 
Yep. And I'm pretty sure this guy's not going to leave until I give him something. So uh, anyway, that was my bus story. But the the amount of stops between Memphis and say New York City was insane. It yep. took so long to take that bus back. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. The one from Bishop to Lancaster that I took <laughs> on Friday morning, that was a piece of cake. That was that was a beautiful ride. Good people on the bus. Totally well, the difference in world. the difference in these days, you know, the world we're living in now, and yeah. the world I was living in when I was sixteen. Mm-hmm. When I got my license, I was, I was, I was on my own. I mm-hmm. was at the races. I was driving to New York, Long Island, mm-hmm. Connecticut, yeah. Florida. At sixteen yeah. years old, I remember being in some situations. It was like I'm not ready. For, I'm not. I'm not ready for this. Like I'm sixteen and I'm driving this piece of crap car uh-huh. through New York City in the yeah. Bronx uh-huh. at the wrong time. You know, and right. two nice bikes on top of my car, mm-hmm. and um, that was too, that was just right out of high school, and we were that was yeah. it. That's what you did, right? Right. You want to go ride trails in New York? Okay, let's go. Yeah. Let's drive to New York. Right. I don't know if I'd let my daughter or son drive anywhere at sixteen these days, especially, you know, out of town. Right. Yeah, I can't imagine what we put our yeah, parents. Yeah, we had no cell phones. Worries. Yeah. All we have was a Thomas guide. Yeah, or something. You know, that's it. Something. And I just knew that you know you didn't find your way. Yeah, I think that those years of being kind of off the leash and mm-hmm. going and in in racing and traveling really gave you life experience right. uh, that really plays into your development down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I I hope my I wish my kids mm-hmm. were into something like BMX that we and the traveling and the friendships. Yeah. And the experiences and all the risk taking right. and all the heartbreak, all the yeah. excitement yeah. that really molds you as a person, right? And you don't know this until you are 46 years old. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. right. So, right. Or 50. Absolutely. Right. No, so. You're right. I, I think it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me was getting involved in BMX. It absolutely kept me on the straight and narrow and... Uh, you found a way to to make money to accomplish what you want to do, which was to go to the next race. It's just a perfect recipe, I think. It always has been the perfect recipe for a kid to really mature the yep, right way. Absolutely. I mean, you still have to pick, still got to pick the right paths because you come across people mm-hmm. in whatever you do. But you know, I just think a lot of people were pretty successful in their personal lives because of the confidence they got from. From doing exactly what you're talking about yep. at 16. The exposure, the friendships, the contacts, mm-hmm. the friends, the families. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all things that you, you don't really talk about all the time. But that is mm-hmm. what I remember. I didn't remember too much about these national titles when I was 13. Because it doesn't matter. I do remember some of the, my competitors' parents. And, mm-hmm. and they opened their house up for us. Yeah. I remember getting rides to races with certain families or, uh-huh. you know, I, so that's the memories, right? right? I remember the experiences, not mm-hmm. so much the wins. Right. Yeah. You know, I remember driving to a race more than I remember the race. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's it's the same. I, yeah. I agree with you on yeah. that for sure. Mm-hmm. Of course, I didn't have any national titles, so I really can't they make don't, it accurate. They don't matter now, <laughs> but the memories of no. getting there and the friendships yeah. are, are what last. Yeah. yeah, those are those are the national titles. Yeah, exactly. 
Mark Reina, you remember him? Of course, he, yeah. I think you raised him a bit. He'd say... And, and talking about families. Yeah. Mark Reina's family, uh-huh. especially his mother, yeah. did so much for me. Mm-hmm. I remember Mark Reina's driving down with his mother in his big van, uh-huh. just picking up kids all the way down yeah. the 95 freeway. Wow. Picking up picking up people all the way down. Picked me up, took me right. to Florida. Right. I'm in a van with a bunch of kids. She's just picking up kids. Parents are saying, go with her. Yeah. Go with Mark Reina's mom. Yeah. How cool is that? Would that ever happen? No. We don't well, We don't have cell easily. phones, right? So right. like, I'm jumping in with Mark Reina's mom. Yeah. And she's going to drive us to Florida. And we're going to stay at hotels and yeah. in people's living rooms. And right. I, I think it was like a spring break uh-huh. race week. And then she's going to bring me back. Yeah. How cool is that? I think Frankie Klosek, his sister. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there, I think it was. Who knows? Yeah, two um, girls, right? But it was a it was a memorable trip. I remember that trip with Mark uh-huh. more than I remember any of the races we went to that trip. Yeah, that's wild. I had no idea. Yeah, he'll I remember that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Uh, nicest. Guy. So you said uh, definitely one of the nicest guys with the OG uh, trail style, uh, Jedi mind Nick. I didn't even know we had a podcast. It's called On the Ramp Podcast. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, let's see. Do you think coming up on the East Coast shaped the rider that you are in any way? Uh, coming up on the East Coast, did it shaped me? Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have a track. Yeah. We didn't. We had trails. We mm-hmm. built trails. We made our track. Right. And we learned that way. Uh-huh. You know, um, I didn't have a track to go to. I wasn't on like a... We didn't have a... Even the track we went to wasn't... You know, open all the time. Um, it was hard to get to, so we made trails. And we, I rode street. I rode flatland. I was influenced by flatlanding first. I hung out with these older guys that did flatland. I remember doing surfers uh-huh. with these guys before I even knew BMX racing existed. Yeah, um, I had a Diamondback Cool Streak. It was my first bike uh-huh. uh, from a bike shop. Yeah, and um, so flatland came first. Mm-hmm discovered racing and then said we and you know we started making trails we called them jumps right right everyone called them jumps let's go to the jumps right we had jumps we made Mm -hmm. and that that influenced my riding Mm -hmm. because it was all about going the trails right that's kind of sad you don't see that as much anymore and occasionally you come across a kid that has two different bikes which i don't really think you need two different bikes but yeah they've got a, a you know, a bike that may even be brakeless, but they've they've got two different bikes: the race bike and then their their trail riding bike. So, but there just aren't many. And, and you know, we would take our race bikes and ride the trails all the time. Oh yeah, there's only one bike. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, we didn't. But nowadays, kids go to the the track, and that's that's the only place they ride their bike. Right. They do sprints, right? And they go to the track. Mm-hmm. But you got to do trails too, you know. So, in the era I grew up in racing, Mm -hmm. I'm very happy to say that all the top pros that I rode with, even out here in California, we all went to the trails. Yeah. Did some guys do tricks? Yeah. Did some guys go fast to the trails Uh and try to go as low as possible? Yeah. But we were all at the trails. Right. Um, Right. I remember it was always we we had a joke about around here in Huntington Beach. It was Jim sprints trails. Uh huh. But I did. Trails. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I Stick did try to go do sprints, yeah. but I sucked at sprints. Uh-huh. And the gym, I did try to go to the gym, but I sucked at the gym. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't have the patience for it. Right. Um, so the gym sprints trails. Mm-hmm. 
turn into just trails for me. <laughs> um, While you were a pro. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember the times that I did do sprints and mm -hmm. I did uh, work hard at it and I did see results, but it just wasn't lasting. I couldn't keep it up. Right. Because there's always something else or mm -hmm. an injury from dirt jumping or sure or just tracks that don't fit my style. Right. You know? But um, yeah, these days I, I've, I've seen obviously kids are going to the track and that's mm -hmm. all they do, yeah. which is fine. It's, right. it's just different. I definitely kind of zone in on kids that, that want to have fun on their bike no matter what they're riding. And I definitely encourage it because I do race weekly, just once a week. I'll go and you just you just try to spot the kids and kind of nurture that because you want kids to experience it that way and, and the fun of kind of free riding we'll call it and then still race I'm always hopeful that they'll do both but you always hope to have, have a kid that does it like we used to and they're out there I see yeah. them they're out there there's there's some young kids I see on Instagram that they are jumping and doing mm -hmm. tricks and I, I can name a few right now but yeah um, they're out there but that would always be a part of my Rounding me out is, is trail riding. I've always had trails to ride. Did you say you had trails in Virginia that were near you? Yeah, and we called ourselves the Capital Crew. I will highlight some of these guys. I was the oldest and probably the most. I was racing. I was expert. I was turning pro. And these guys are just kids uh -huh. that I was riding with. I was right. five years older or three years older. Uh -huh. So I was the pro amongst the group. But these kids came to the trails every day and... Uh -huh. I would, they would say I mentored them. My mother took them in our truck to races, exposed uh -huh. them to racing. Right. Their parents caught on. Their parents started supporting the group. And as uh -huh. a group, this five, six, uh, you know, five, six, five or six of us all, all did very well to the uh -huh. point where one of the um, rider's parents, Michael Leary, his mother mm -hmm. got some of the other families together and started the Woodbridge BMX track. Oh, no way. Nova BMX. Wow. Which that is... track that track was created because of our trails and our our capital crew, right? Right. Our friend group. Yeah. And our my influence on him uh -huh. got his parents motivated to get a track in our town. Right. That's Nova BMX, which hosts big nationals. Yeah. Yeah, they... Adam Watkins is another one. Uh-huh. He... Is very much an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. great rider, never raced and and turned pro or anything, but he kept riding, mm -hmm. went on to be an editor at Ride or Transworld oh, out wow. here. He lives out here now. So we're talking about oh, our, 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 our little yeah. trail group. Um, Trey cool. Hinton, another oh. guy, went on to be, come to California also. Uh -huh. Maybe followed my footsteps out here. I don't know, but he came out and did his own thing. Ended up in magazines, BMX uh -huh. Plus. Um, very good rider. He is uh -huh. now a police officer in Charlotte. So the, this crew of guys, um, it just went on to great, do great things uh -huh. in our sport and made an impact uh -huh. without winning titles, right. right? Or having the big sponsors. Huh. So it's very cool to, yeah. to still follow, to still keep up with these guys. And yeah. I'm very much impressed in in by these guys. You know. And how they came out. Yeah. You know, we're just a bunch of trail kids. Right. Right. Yeah. right. It is impressive. Mm -hmm. Super impressive. It's a pretty good ratio. You probably had something to do with that. It, it, if I was influenced them any any bit to help them, I'm, I feel accomplished. That's all I can hope. Right. To, to their, their career path and their life path mm -hmm. was influenced by riding the trails. 
That's pretty I mean, cool. What else can you say? That's that's great. Yeah. You know? All right. Justin Long, he wanted to know which scene was better in the 90s, East or West? Because you um, were kind of both, right? East, East 100%. That's all yeah. I knew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at East Coast. I mean, we had the races. We had mm-hmm. the NBL circuit. NBL races just had a family vibe to them. Yeah. At the time, ABA was like a corporate race. Mm-hmm. When I went to an ABA race, I was overwhelmed. It was mm-hmm. bigger. It was usually hotter. Uh-huh. It was just chaotic. The moto count was higher. Yeah. The the announcing was louder. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it just it was just a bigger animal than I was used to. I was right. used to going to smaller family-oriented mm-hmm. NBL track races. Right. And on top of that, we would go to the trails after. Yeah. You would go to, like, Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. You had a mud fight. Uh-huh. And then fireworks. And then you yeah. go to push the trails right. after the race. Yeah. They didn't, you didn't get that in Phoenix at the Black Mountain Nationals, you know? So no. uh, East Coast had the trail scene, by far the best trail scene. Uh-huh. Um, it had... So much diversity mm-hmm. from the East Coast to all the way down to Florida. Sure. You had your Florida riders, which really mimicked the California riders. Right. They were fast. They were factory. Uh-huh. They had the sunshine. They had the year-round racing. And then we had guys that were they were just amazing up in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. New York, Long Island, of course. Yeah. And the names that come out of Long Island uh-huh. are just unbelievable. Oh, Gosh, yeah, that yeah. that whole ratio of amazing riders to yeah. just you know out of the bunch that yeah. that went through the program there through Shoreham was just amazing. Oh, yeah. So many. So you see riders. the influence. Those riders, it could have been a different track, but the the influence they were of dropped. all the guys together coming up uh-huh. made that scene right. And they were all trail riders too. Absolutely. Something to and it. And if anyone ever rode Shoreham back in the nineties, mm-hmm. it was. There's been nothing like it since. Only thing I can, only track I can compare it, compare it to would be tours in France and indoor Supercross BMX race. Oh, yeah. But Shoreham had a different. It just had a different surface. It had a different right. shape. Right. The jumps were built by trail riders and influenced mm-hmm. by that scene. Yeah. It was just a completely different track. Right. We were just talking about this with, uh, with Terry Bagley when I was interviewing him. Because we were talking about the big doubles in the last straight, the triple step up before that into the last turn, yep. uh, and then the big doubles in, in order. But there was also like a, a seven pack or something like that. Yep. Um, but it was a hard, it was a hard track to to master. But those guys, man, they made it look so easy. They did. The Long it, was, it was unbelievable to see Ronnie Gasca, yeah. Brian Irochi, mm-hmm. Justin Lafredo, yeah. uh, Morales. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm missing a ton of names there, but um, oh, Tara and all um, those guys, yeah, unbelievable riders. I could not ride that track like they did until I, you know, right, got better myself. But, oh sure, yeah, it was so fortunate that we could get down there fairly easily. Why don't we do a little on uh, Triple Crown? I hate to say a little on Triple Crown, well, um, because it's not little; it's it's huge. Um, it is. I mean, if you want to talk about it, we could talk about like kind of how the first race went down, the Vans Triple Crown. I could three. And then, and then well, sorry, Magoo talked a lot about it mm-hmm. in in his podcast with Chris Muller. Mm-hmm. But there, there is some, there's some interesting parts of that, like um, the Triple Crown, how we all showed up and we're all very nervous and mm-hmm. didn't know what to expect. Right. Um, 
But we could go into the influence that Magoo had and Matt Hoffman mm-hmm. on yeah, that well, shaping that series. Sure. That a lot of guys don't know. A lot of guys just show up and they think there's a race. Yeah. They don't know who's yeah. behind it and who really put the effort to make that race. Right. You know. Um, now from Mark Rand asked a question about about that. Are we hot? Mark's asking for you to talk about your opinion on the progression from the first the Vans Triple Crown and then right through the X Games. Uh, of downhill BMX, but something about helping with the layouts. Is that what you were talking, starting to talk about? Yeah. Uh, so we can, we could talk about that. that. So when the Vance Triple Crown event was, uh, the series was created, Magoo, Matt Hoffman, they assembled a team mm-hmm. and pitched it to ESPN. Um, and they wanted to make this, this three round um, Triple Crown event, big money, something that's never been done before. Uh-huh. Uh, when we all showed up to that event, um, of course, it was downhill BMX at mm-hmm. Woodward. It was a rough surface track. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was huge jumps. Yeah. It was very fast. And um, I know we're going to glance over, but I did well at that event. Uh-huh. And then uh, jumping forward to the X Games now. Yeah, yeah. When the X Games came to Woodward East the, f- the following couple years, mm-hmm. um, I just happened to be there because they built the track for like three months. Right. I just happened to be at Woodward during that time frame. And Working? It was, or, no, or, just, just riding. I don't know. Yeah. I was passing through or something. They were building okay. the track. And, uh-huh. and the track was just a rough cookie-cutter layout. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to figure out um, a way to make it more X Games. Sure. Um, so I went up to the top of the starting hill. We were just messing around up there, just not riding the track because you couldn't ride it. Yeah. Um, but they built the first jump. Uh-huh. And uh, I was, it just looked huge. Uh-huh. And I said, I don't know if we can jump that, Magoo. Like, you're going to put a gate right here, right. and I'm supposed to jump that jump. Uh-huh. And, of course, it was wet and soggy. So there's no way I was going to test test ride that. Right. Right? So I rolled down the starting hill and went up the lip and kind of packed in a lip. Like I was uh-huh. like, you know, screw it. Let's just try it, you know. Yeah. And uh, there's no way I was going to clear it. So there's a picnic table nearby. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I think if I put the picnic table up here... And jumped off the picnic table yeah. into the, uh-huh. the the starting hill. Yeah. I could probably get the speed to clear it. Oh, okay. So we get the picnic okay. table out. I jump off the picnic table. I uh-huh. case the jump. That idea uh-huh. took off in Magoo's head. Like, hey. And Nate Wessel was there. He said, uh-huh. Nate's like, let's build an elevated platform. Sure. And put the gate on that. That's mm-hmm. extreme. Yeah. And we don't have to build it out of dirt. Right. They just built a big box up there and put the gate on it. And it was right. super sketchy the uh-huh. first time you did it. <laughs> You're like, it's like five or six feet yeah. from gate to dirt, right. you know? But that that was an amazing element that I don't I don't think that's happened at all in BMX no. since then, right? Yeah. Um, so since I was out there, I did have some input on what was capable and what was not. Mm-hmm. Did I ride it? No. Uh-huh. It was not in any way you could ride it. Yeah. So when X Games came around and I was doing well, a lot of the guys naturally said, oh, you had all this experience up here. You've been riding it all summer before uh-huh. the race. And I was like, you know, they just, when multiple people start talking about you or uh-huh. shit talking, right. and it's hard to defend yourself because they no one was there to, Right. I was there. I didn't jump the jumps, right. but I had some input. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean it's I'm, it's going to allow me to win the race. Sure. Um, 
Yeah. But that's what that's what people do. Mm. You know, they talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say I had an influence on the track design, uh-huh. but definitely no no experience yeah. riding it before the race. Yeah, no testing. Yeah, there's no test riding it. Yeah, and I don't think that would be in their best interest anyway to have me ride it. Because I think we needed a rider there yeah. to say this is this is safe. This is not. This is doable. Mm-hmm. This is this is too short. This is too long. Yeah, this doesn't work. Right. You know, we had great riders building the track. Nate uh-huh. Wessel being one of them. But it's hard to really, you know, judge a distance of a jump when you're building out of a tractor, right? A bulldozer, you know. Right. And they had bulldozers and steamrollers yeah. up there on that hill. Yeah. So yeah, that was the, that kind of irritated me a little bit, but sure. it also fueled my fire. Yeah. At that race, and I wanted to do well because, one. this is at the, the X Games one. The two thousand. Yeah. 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 So that that was the input. I, I had some influence, but mm-hmm. I didn't design the track. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't think anyone's really upset about it these days. But. No. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm watching. It was great dude, to to see so many East Coast guys up there because you're used to seeing all the California guys in there, majority of California guys. It, but the style of racing kind of brought the East Coast to like a real positive spotlight. And I realize you were living in California at the time already, right? Yeah. But you're. We still claim you. East oh Coast. yeah, I was just visiting California, yeah. right? Right. I was testing it out because right. I didn't have. A, I of course I was just out here, yeah. uh, living, mm-hmm. living very cheap on mm-hmm. people's couches, so that didn't really yeah. count. But like you said, it influ- the influence of in the race changed the game. You go you go from racing an NBL or ABA national, and mm-hmm. you have to hold a double A racing license. Mm-hmm. Now you're at these downhill races, and you're next to your Keith Mulligan. Yeah. Who is a racer? Who is a right. pro racer? Right. But he's not going to be on the gate with Danny Nelson. Right. In Phoenix, he's going. Right. But he's on the gate now, uh-huh. and he is a legit competitor uh-huh. at the Downhill BMX. There's a few like that. There's there's definitely a few that that I saw. You know, when I watched the, the videos, and that stuff, was across. That was the most amazing part about Downhill BMX is that the guy next to you on the gate uh-huh. might smoke you. You just don't know what's going to happen. Right. You know, it was it was trail riding. It was con- bike control. It yeah. was guts it was Mark Melton that, that one surprised me too Mark Melton he had to be on the older side of things at that point yeah there's he was doing some T- that gnarly TJ Lavin lined up uh-huh. uh, I know Keith did Chris Moeller I think did yeah yeah um, you name it they were there everyone wanted to be a, have a part of the downhill series uh-huh. um, and I'm glad everyone gave it a shot yeah I'm glad we got to do it right I'm glad we did right mm-hmm so, because it gets a little confusing with the three the three years of it, right? Uh, each one of them was a series. It wasn't just a one race, one race deal. No, I'm sorry, the X Games. It was those were individual races. The one that Sanchez won was that the Vans Triple Crown. Yeah. So the Vans Triple Crown was a three race, three location series over the span of four months. Right. The first race was at Woodward East, mm-hmm. and we we did that. Uh, right. I won that that first event. Right. Best score at uh-huh. three races wins a grand prize. Right. The second race was in Wilmot, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. This track was was very raw. It was dangerous. Uh-huh. It was fun. Right. It was scary, and it was ridiculous. All yeah. all those all those descriptions. Yeah. We got through time trials. Uh huh. And it started raining. And it rained out the race. Oh no! Because okay. of the TV production, because of the, mm-hmm. the the work that we need to go into uh, 
getting the track dry, it wasn't going to happen. Right. So the decision was made to cancel. Oh, it didn't. No even points know came from that race. Yeah. Okay. The third round was in California and Mountain mm -hmm. High. It's at a ski resort here in Southern California. Right. The decision was made to race Saturday uh -huh. as the second round and to replace the Wisconsin race. And then the third round will be on Sunday. They designed the track to have a alternate finish uh, last straightaway. Uh -huh. So on Saturday, the track was had a had a section that mm -hmm. was different on the next day. Oh wow! Okay. Right. And so, yeah. so so really, we're racing at Woodward East, and then uh -huh. we're racing three months later in California. Right. And that's the series. Yeah. So if it's two you. weekends. Yeah. That's it. That's why I was so confused. It just it wasn't adding up. But anyway, and, and there's not much documentation. Of, there's no. There's like really bad video online of it. There's right. No, there's not right. HD video of this race. You no. Know? Yeah. No. All right. Well, that explains it. And then the following ones were non-series. They're just day of because they're they were right. X Games. X Games. There was right. three of them. Yeah. Gotcha. And you won one of those, which we talked about earlier. There's yeah. the medal. Yeah. Or I'm sorry. There's Behind you. Behind me, that's right. It's on Jersey. Uh, there's other medals in there too, but um, so it's easy to confuse. You got a lot of good stuff in here. It's 2000, 2001, 2002. Those are the three X Games ones. You won the first one, and then what happened in the next two? 2001 was the first X Games at Woodward East. Oh, okay. Uh, that was the race that um, oh. myself and Brandon Meadows were going down the last straight, and I crashed. That's right. Okay. Brandon won. Um, uh -huh. Well-deserved win. Yeah. The following year, I ended up winning at Woodward East again. Yeah, gotcha. And then the last and final year of the X Games was at Woodward West, and that didn't go so well for me. I didn't even make the main. Okay. So. Gotcha. Oh, that's right. Out in the semi, maybe? I think yeah. that one was yeah. on, on mm -hmm. TV. Okay. Mm -hmm. That finally gets it straight in my head because it was, it was getting a little confusing from a three-race series to singles. And, uh, so to simplify yeah. it, how many downhill races have there ever been? Six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Six races over the span of five weekends. Do you know why it dropped? Uh, I believe Magoo covered that in his uh, podcast with Chris Moeller. I think it was just the, the fact that X Games needed a high production cost for the, to cover the race. Right. Uh, high production, uh, high, I mean, everything costs money, right? So they're sure. building a track. The track was cheap because it was already there, right? But I think X Games said, "Hey, you know what? We can get, we can, we can have an event that's going to draw more spectators, mm -hmm. have less cameras, and we're going to have Jeremy McGrath, Travis Pastrana, uh, Mike Metzger, all these guys doing Supermoto." Yeah, Supermoto bumped us out of the X Games. It just we just weren't big enough to compete with the the motocross, motorsports right. ratings. Got it. And those were your, your most profitable years of racing, right? Yes. The downhill series. So that's a four-year span. Yeah, gotcha. And you were talking about, if you want to share this before we started recording, you were talking about basically getting your start as a, as a homeowner with the, with the winnings from that. Yes. After the X Games uh, win in 2002, I had... Obviously, had some good years. I saved up money from the Triple Crown, mm -hmm. which was prior to that. And, of course, having good sponsorships into the X Games years, winning oh. the X Games, right. um, just living cheap. Yeah. I was able to save a couple bucks and actually um, able 
to put a down payment on a house yeah. here in California. Yeah, it's the same house we're sitting in today. We're sitting right? in now. I can't afford to yeah. move. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right. The houses must be triple what they were back then when you bought yes, this. Yes, they are. not more, right? They are. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just, we're sitting in a small yeah. house. Yeah. But it gets it gets the families all, you know, we're all here. Yeah. We don't need a big house. No. Uh, we don't live above our means. Right. I've been here for 20 years. Yeah. Good and I got nowhere else to go. Let me flip through and make sure there's any questions I, I missed. Um, actually, one of them is really going to go toward uh, toward your career. Can we talk about your career that you moved into pretty quickly after BMX? After you if you wanted to preload it with, okay, like, how did it all wrap up? Like, how did you go from X Games to to a new career oh. in, a matter, in a matter of f- f- three years? Go I for raced it. X I'm Games all, in 2003, yeah. and I was in a new career in 2007. To me, it's shocking. Now, as I'm in this new career for 16, 17 years almost, uh-huh. my BMX career is a blip on the radar. It's mm-hmm. very short. Yeah, I raced from 11 to, well, I had a long career, but pro, pro, pro years right. was like just, just above 10 years. Right. 18 right. to 30. And the last three years of my, my career was just kind of like in limbo. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I wasn't competitive to the day I... Right. The day I got off, you know. Right. So yeah. you getting into it, yeah, we, we probably should cover that. And I, you've talked about it before on the, the getting into it part, but not everyone heard Dale. So we, the, the Stu Thompson influence, right? You, uh, you talk to him about? Oh, uh, yeah. So how does one transition out of racing pro BMX, downhill BMX, X Games? Mm-hmm. What, you know... I was very observant. I watched and I learned and I, I was I always was curious on like what the guys the you know before me were doing. What was the Gary Ellis's the you know the top pros mm-hmm. where did they go? Did they did they retire rich on an island somewhere right. or did they go to work? Right. right. What do I need to That's do? A good way to put it. I always thought what do I need to do to like prepare mm-hmm. for that day? I bought a house, I have a house payment. And I have a sponsor, mm-hmm. and I'm making it work. But what's going to happen when that uh, goes away? Right. And one day I got a call, and I'll say I'll say it. Um, it was from DK, and they uh-huh. said, "Hey, uh, Bill Danishek called me, uh-huh. and he's a great guy. Uh, I love Bill Danishek. I owe him as much as uh, for this career as I owe anybody. Mm-hmm. He gave me a shot and paid me very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave us lots of opportunities. But he had to make the business decision one day and call me." Uh-huh. I was getting ready to go to Sheep Hills and I was living the dream. And he called me and said, hey, Rob, I'm sorry, but we're going to put the, the money towards somebody else, a younger guy. Uh-huh. And it just hit, it hit me like, wow, okay, there is the call. Yeah. And after that call, he agreed to sponsor me for another year, um, just like a basic sponsor though. Mm-hmm. Not, wasn't going to pay the bills. Right. Wasn't going to get me to the races. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty much, uh, we're going to pay you for the last year and then that's it, right? No yeah. matter what, do what you want with it. But right. So, but once that happened, it was a trickle effect. Uh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't get to the races. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't train as hard as I wanted to. Uh, the sponsorship started falling off. Right. So I had to really look at the guys ahead of me and see what they were doing so I could pre-plan mm-hmm. how my career was going to fizzle out. Uh-huh. And I was okay with it. Right. Because like, X Games is over and right. it wasn't coming back. Right. And I knew like, hey man, you're like 26, 27 years old. 
it's time it's there's going to be a day this ends sure so i had to make the decision what am i going to do am i going to follow in the footsteps of steve buttendeck am i going to go work at dk and i'm right. sure they would have gave me a job am i going to move to ohio <laughs> am i going to try and get a job at dc shoes or fox racing like Dwayne taylor right I, I didn't see much value in those jobs because I did see the struggle those guys had as team managers, that they jumped from job to job, right. and things are great, and then things are not great. Mm -hmm. And it's all about who hired you. Once that person leaves, then then they, you, know, you, you may lose your job too. So I was talking to my neighbor one day about this, and he, he mentioned, like, you should be, you know, in law enforcement or a firefighter or something, and kind of mm -hmm. took it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Didn't think much about it, but then... I remembered Stu Thompson, mm -hmm. who's a local, you know, Southern California BMX pro back in the 80s, mm -hmm. is local. And I don't know him. Mm -hmm. I never talked to him, but I reached out to him. And uh -huh. I said, hey, Stu, Stu works in the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Uh -huh. And um, I said, Stu, uh, I'm Robbie Miranda. You don't know me, but I've heard of you. Right. Can you tell me about this job you're doing? Because uh -huh. you were the top guy, and yeah. now you're doing this job. Right. He said, all right, Robbie, meet me at 7-Eleven at midnight. Because uh -huh. he was working patrol in some crappy city, you know? Right. So here I am in 7-Eleven, drinking coffee with Stu Thompson, <laughs> talking about a career change. Mm -hmm. And um, Stu is the nicest guy. He, he basically just said that he didn't know me, but he knew that he would take care of his BMX family and he would put a good, good word in for me. But I had to pull mine away. Sure. If I wanted to pursue a career in the department he was working for, he, he couldn't get me the job, but he mm -hmm. would, would, you know, put a good word in. But I had sure. to pull my, I had to, there's no free, free ways into these careers. Mm -hmm. So I became, um, long story short, with his, uh, advice and in mentorship I I was in the police academy in 2000, 2007 oh, to wow. become or to become a sheriff mm -hmm. in, in, in this area that's amazing so the funny story is I raced on a Sunday uh -huh. and I started the police academy on a Monday the last race must have been a little tense it didn't matter you know I mean, you, but, you know, but, hurt, but right? it, it it was um you don't in, in in this this field of mm -hmm. getting into the police academy. Yeah, you don't know that you're in until you actually step foot on the police academy grounds. Right. So I had to race and keep all of this kind of a secret mm. until I actually got got onto the police academy. You know, right. um, you know, starting. Sure. So um, luckily, some of the sponsors I still had. I told them at that point, hey, I'm currently in this new field. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to pay me anymore. And they said, and a couple of them said, we're gonna we're gonna pay you the rest of the year, nice. regardless of what you're doing. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, probably. that was my career change. I, I was in the X Games in 2001, uh, two, and three, and I was out of BMX in 2007. Yeah, <laughs> so it happens fast. So you raced double A uh, from so for two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six, yeah. Seven. And those are the years I did the um, the the give back tour, like I told you. Right. I knew right. I was transitioning out. Yeah. I didn't want to have the sport kick me out. Right. I wanted to go out on my own terms. Sure. I wanted to leave um, a good memory in mm -hmm. uh, my sponsors and my fans and uh -huh. the supporters. 
um, that I wanted to thank them. It kind of, I wasn't doing a Gary Ellis farewell tour by sure. no means, but sure. to a select few, I wanted to say thank you, and that's why we did the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I gracefully left. Yeah, you know, good for you. Yeah, it's it, it, I think it's such a great story. It really well, is. It's unfortunate that I couldn't race forever or stay in the sport like I wanted to, but mm-hmm. I have a house, I have a family, mm-hmm. and um, this job, this career allows me to ride my bike. Right. I just have to, you know, we have to put the work in. So within your career so far as uh, as a sheriff, you've done, have you done a couple different jobs within the department? Or has it always been patrol or, yeah, how does that all work out? Yeah, so in our, in the sheriff's department here, you have to start in, in the jails. So, and oh, so, okay. so my, my path so far has been jails. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done administrative positions I've done patrol mm-hmm. I've done proactive patrol responsive type patrol mm-hmm. undercover um, and I'm currently I've done surveillance units apprehension uh-huh. units uh, I've, I've had a really good fun career mm-hmm. I've experienced a lot and I'm currently in my new role as a supervisor which is a sergeant in our ranks so look at a shift supervisor um... At the, I'm currently at the jail as a shift supervisor, sergeant. So once I put my time in at the jail again, I'll be back out to the streets oh, okay. as a supervisor. Oh, that's how they do it. They yeah. rotate you through. Yeah, you got to go back. I got you. You start at the bottom again. Oh, wow. Were you mentally prepared for things that you would see or have to do, respond to, whatever the case may be with, with the different jobs? Not everyone can do it is what I'm, is what I'm getting at. I mean, it's got to be difficult for... For some, maybe they just don't make it because they can't deal with the, you know, the try to resuscitate a child that that may have drowned or, or whatever the deal is. Were you mentally ready for that, or is that something you adapt to and learn? Um, no, I mean coming into this job, I've never had to respond to emergencies and mm-hmm. and you know be tasked with the roles and the the task with the jobs that I have to uh-huh. do. You know. But over time, you you do adapt, and like we talked about earlier, the life experience mm-hmm. coming into this field. I came in late. I started when I was thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that life experience already really helped me transition into it and mm-hmm. and not be such a shocker. Mm-hmm. There is some younger guys in our department that come out of high school, mm-hmm. a little bit of college, and then jump right into it, mm-hmm. and they just don't have that life experience yeah. that helps make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I came in with a little bit mature mature mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a lot already. I've mm-hmm. experienced a lot already. So coming into this, I just have to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. And remember, it's just a job. I don't right. wear this career when I come home. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I've changed at all mm-hmm. from my days racing bicycles. Right. I just go to work and come back and mm-hmm. and support my family. Do you? Uh, would you consider that kind of... Uh compartmentalizing compartmentalizing is what I'm trying to say the experiences in that you go through on a, on a daily basis and then kind of leave those there and then when you get home it's when you say you just kind of shut it off so you just kind of put it in a box in your mind yeah here absolutely you have to, to for, a, for a healthy relationship at home mm-hmm. you have to come home and uh, leave it at work mm-hmm. at the same time when I race BMX mm-hmm. I would come home from a race to see my 
girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't digest everything that happened at the race. Mm, she didn't right, care. Right. She didn't care to hear it. Right. She didn't care what I got in Moto 2 and yeah, what yeah. I happened in the main and right. what we did. You know. So when I come home from work, yeah. I don't talk about work. Right. Right. I didn't talk about BMX in the house right. every day I came home. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So if, if that makes, if that can put that into perspective, mm. you just, mm-hmm. I, I, of course we talk about work at home, but it's yeah. not everything that I talk about. Right. Um, I came home today and, and mm-hmm. well, you didn't say one thing about work to, right. to my wife. Right. And she doesn't ask. I don't tell her. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to talk about it. Right. Right. You know, not every day is as, as exciting as you think. It's not mm-hmm. cops, you know? Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I understand. You know? So if it does get to that point, is there is there a, a healthy process uh, that's available to you through the through the uh, county? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. There's 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 all types of peer support programs, mm-hmm. um, and yes, I have been through some traumatic mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. Uh, but I've I've felt I've done well with it. Mm-hmm. I've coped well with it, and not brought it home to my kids right. or my family. I think I've uh, family is very supportive of my job and. I've done very well of decompressing. Mm-hmm. One of the worst days I had at work, regardless of what it was, mm-hmm. but it happened to be a day that I rode my bike to work. Oh. So I had a really terrible day, mm-hmm. um, the things I saw and had to deal with, mm-hmm. but I got to ride my bike home mm-hmm. about 45 to a 45 minute ride. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got home, I was okay. That's it was it was not, not a problem. I didn't yeah, have to yeah. bring it home. Right. Right. I, I love that you said that because uh, I was just talking about it recently with someone about how important it was, how important it is for me to be mentally set for work. I don't have a job nearly as, as stressful as yours. I mean, I guess everyone has, depending on how hard they work at something, it can be stressful. But I love riding my bike to work just because it gets you mentally prepared, almost like takes away any piss and vinegar or any feelings that you have. You just come into work clear headed. You know, if you if you're able to, yeah, um, pound out a 50 minute yeah. to an hour ride into work, and then vice versa when you're coming home. By the time I get back to where I park for the halfway ride, by the time I get back to my van, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I've forgotten about work, so I, I love that you said that. You just reminded me. I did yeah, yeah. remember seeing you ride uh-huh. um, many miles to work in the snow, right? Oh, yeah, snow yeah, and yeah. freezing rain and and everything yeah, else. So yeah. yeah. Um, I commend you for that because well, I, I have got soft out here in California. Yeah, Riding well, in 50 degree weather is a little too cold for me. You know? So yes, great. You know, it's important. I mean, whether it be riding a bike or whether it be going to a gym or whatever it is, I've always felt it's important to just, I, I want to say like dumb down your brain a little bit, just dumb down the sensory part of it so you can just go to work and do your job. And it is kind of a decompression, I think. It so, is. So anyway... So the only other question I had about about your career, and, and this is on the parenting side, you know, both being parents, is it change your feeling about your own kids? Do you are you any more concerned about them or overly concerned because of the potential that you've seen for for anything to happen to anyone? I should say, or your wife? Does it has it heightened your awareness of of just? things that can happen randomly day to day or are you just uh, is that part of the decompression you kind of don't let that oh, carry over oh, I'm, a, I'm a mess or... Joe I'm a mess <laughs> I'm a mess when we talk about this yeah, yeah, yeah I'm a mess I'm all over my kids yeah. and my wife about potential yeah. hazards in life mm-hmm. remember 
Yeah. All day long, I see the worst of the worst. I see mm-hmm. people on their worst I day. See, right? I see people having car accidents, mm-hmm. drug overdoses, um, yeah. I, you know, suicides, e-bike crashes, mm-hmm. um, people having the worst time. And I come home and my daughter leaves on her e-bike. Yeah. All I think about is she, she has potential. She has a potential to crash somewhere, or get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Or, and my son goes out and plays with his friend. I'm worried about him getting hit by a car out front or. Mm-hmm. Uh, something ha- something bad happening. It's always, I always worry that something bad is going to happen. So mm-hmm. it's really difficult for me to just let it go and let her go live, let her live her life, yeah. and learn on her own mm-hmm. instead of being on her all the time to yeah. go slow or ride on the sidewalk or don't hang out with that person. I have sure. to let her learn herself, right? Yeah, oh, it's uh, gonna be so hard though. It is. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because it's. That's something I feel any person would, I would imagine. That's why I wanted to ask you the question. Uh, we worry enough as parents that don't see the things you see. I always tell my, my family, like, hey, you don't have to listen to me, but I have to say it. Yeah. yeah. You, you right. don't have to listen, but hear me. Yeah. You're going to hear me, but right. you, you absorb it or not, I got to say it. Mm-hmm. Because I can't watch you fail if, if I have any way to, way to warn you. Mm, right, right right it's like put your helmet on yeah why dad well yeah. i told you to do it so if you smack your head on the ground yeah I, at least i said something you sure know? so my kids yeah. are good my kids know me they know what mm. where my limits are mm-hmm. they know where i'm about right they they don't have any idea what i do at work mm-hmm. my, my wife doesn't either my wife has never seen me at work mm-hmm. she's never come to my workplace mm-hmm I've never brought work home. Mm-hmm. My kids really have no idea what I do. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for 16 years. Yeah. Going on 17. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's that's good and bad. Sure. Some of my work partners, their uh-huh. lives are revolve around work. Mm-hmm. Their pictures on social media are in uniform. Oh, wow. They hang out with other partners and law uh-huh. enforcement families. Right. All they do is law enforcement stuff. Uh-huh. All they talk about is law enforcement stuff oh, man. or first responder stuff. Yeah. They only yeah. listen to country music. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I like to keep things diverse here. Right. I come home. Mm-hmm. There's no uniform to be seen. There's no cop car outside. There's no work yeah. boots in the front yard. Right. I'm just me. Right. As far yeah. as I, as far as my peers from the last 25 years think, they might think I still raise Pro BMX. I don't know. Right. But right. that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, like I said, I wanted to leave a memory mm-hmm. and not start a, a new one. This is right. this this part of my life is for me and my family. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm not going to inf- push or influence anybody into mm-hmm. what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not yeah. going to push any po- political beliefs mm-hmm. or or anything. Yeah. Nor would I want you to. That's no, for sure. There's no need to. Yeah, I just I think it's it's interesting. I, I think it's a it's it's real life, you know. So asking you about your career to to me is uh, it's interesting for anyone's career. But I just have huge respect for what you're what you're doing. Yeah, and as much as I say I push it away and don't mm-hmm. bring it home and don't talk about it and don't associate with it, mm-hmm. doesn't mean I don't like it. Sure, I love my job. My job has given me. Mm-hmm. A chance to provide for my family, mm-hmm. and it's gonna. It allows me to go ride my bike. It allows me to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm around like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And one day I'm going to retire, mm-hmm. and I might start racing again. Right, right. Okay, I just got to get Why through not? this career. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's there. The options are there. Yeah. Do you, is the opportunity there through your department if you wanted to, say, be a detective or, or something like that? I, yeah, I've, I've been a detective already. Oh, so yeah. you cycle through that too? Yeah, I did. I did investigations, mm-hmm. undercover investigations. You mentioned undercover, okay. Yeah, right. so I've, I've, I've investigated major, major crimes, mm-hmm. and I'm just, you know, like I said, I don't talk about it much. No, no. These and things, yeah. And, and, and you don't have to go into details, just the, the detective part. And it, this comes somewhat from podcasts, I have to confess, because the only podcasts I really like to listen to as far as the law enforcement side are the ones that um, it involves retired police that are talking about it. And they're really good about just focusing on what the story is and maybe how they had to work to get the job done. Um, it's on, and this is more on the detective side. It's almost entirely on the detective yeah, side. I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've had a lot of opportunities in, mm-hmm. in my career. Uh, obviously, a sheriff's department is different than a police department. A police department has only a, a small amount of employees. Mm-hmm. And the majority of your career is in a police car. Mm-hmm. Right. A sheriff's department is 20 times larger and 100 times more opportunities. A police department may not have a helicopter or a bomb team or mm. an undercover team or a dive team yeah. or a bicycle patrol team. Sheriff's Department has everything plus more. So if I wanted to work in the Newport Harbor on mm-hmm. a boat, I can do it. I if I want to work on a bicycle patrol team, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, undercover investigations, mm-hmm. I can work to try to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of my way my career has gone. I've had a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I found that if I'm not learning, I don't want to be there. So as I need to learn something. I right. want to learn. Uh-huh. I want to be around people that are teaching me. Sure. You know, I've been around some amazing detectives and, and, uh-huh. and law enforcement people and, and supervisors that really shaped me and mm-hmm. shown me and how to lead. Right. right. I'm a leader now, apparently. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. So... I've had a, I've, you know, I'm on beat a dead horse here, but it's been a, it's been a fun career, rewarding, yeah. right? And I can only hope my kids find a rewarding career too. Sure. Well, do I want them to do this career? I don't know. Right. With right. today's climate, I don't know if uh, I want them in this, yeah. but, yeah. but again, it's up to them. Sure. No, absolutely. Yep. So from what you're describing, it's probably more like the state police in my state. So it's called the state police and we have barracks and through those barracks, they have they have basically a lot of things that a city wouldn't have, or if the town was large enough to have a, a town police force, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have it. They would then rely on the state police for That's anything exactly from forensics is. and all that. So same thing? Okay. That's exactly so, what it is. So it's called sheriffs instead of state police. Right. Okay. That makes a heck of a lot more sense to me. Uh, another another unuseful fact, yeah. we have small cities here in Southern California. We have Huntington Beach, Costa mm-hmm. Mesa, Newport Beach small cities, Mission Viejo, Santa Ana. Some of the cities have their own police department. Mm-hmm. Some cities don't. Right. If they don't have a police department, they contract with the sheriff's department. Okay. So the sheriff's department may cover pockets in Orange yeah, County yeah. I that you. don't have funding for a full-blown police department. 
so they may have someone on during the day, but then there's the sheriff's department takes the night. No, or just something the like sheriff's that. department is contracted. They pay one. They pay one price, and they wow. get they get the entire sheriff's department. Oh, okay. All assets. Right. So, okay. if you are living in a town here called Mission Viejo, mm -hmm. you don't have a police department building. Mm -hmm. um, that's dead. You know, they don't have their own police cars. They don't have their helicopter. They don't have mm -hmm. all these things. But the sheriff's department says. If you contract with, the, with us, we will give you all these all these things. SWAT, the whole deal. You get everything. Yeah. So wow. you get you get everything. Sure. It's a I buffet, you. right? I got you. If you need, if you have a big incident, a plane mm -hmm. crash, mm -hmm. and you need this many resources, well, you got it. All. You pay for it already. Yeah. It's yeah. all there. So that's a cool you. thing about a sheriff's department or state police. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, the pieces together much better. Just yeah. to, I didn't realize there was a name change there. Yeah. That means the same. It means so the we same. Just, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool uh -huh. job. I've, I've, I can't believe the years have gone by this mm -hmm. fast. Um, I do model my career after Stu Thompson because uh -huh. he's who I first met and first talked to about this. Mm -hmm. He left a good, um, he, he retired. Yeah. But he left a good, with a good reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing you don't want to do in BMX is to tarnish your reputation. Right. You don't want to be a jackass with your sponsor shirt on. Uh -huh. Right, right. Um, you don't want to um, make a bad name for yourself. Right. That you're unmarketable. Right. All these things apply in your job. Absolutely. Any job. Right. So, if you do something dumb in a law enforcement department, mm -hmm. that will never go away. People will talk about that forever. Mm -hmm. So you really have to be mindful of your reputation. Yeah, and careful of how you handle whatever the situation is. Right, especially now. It's got to be difficult because we talked about we talked about not having phones back when we were kids. Now everyone's got a phone, mm -hmm. and everyone's got a phone that's sometimes aimed at you while you're trying to do your job. That one's always kind of bugged me a little bit. We don't even need to get into that. It's just that the the landscape has changed so much. So I just give you a lot of credit for dealing with it because it's uh and and just sticking to the job at hand. Yeah, because it cannot be it can't be easy with all these variables is what I'm saying yeah you've seen the challenges and I deal with them and mm. like I said I don't bring them home and it doesn't bother mm. me yeah this is just a job right it's right. a career right at the end of the day I come home to my family and mm -hmm. I got my bike if I need it yeah yeah that's it yeah yep. good for you we don't have to go any further than that um, let me just flip through see if there's any questions and we'll wrap it up yeah you got um, it any questions that we didn't touch on because uh, it is getting late, and I gotta imagine you are tired. Uh, That's all right. It's been a been a long day, I'm sure. Uh, let's see. Let me just bust here. Oh, Jim Boswell, I remember that guy. Oh yeah. He was like a myth. Oh. I always wrote all kinds of stuff about you, but never, no one ever knew who he was. Oh jeez. Yeah, remember that guy? I remember. He was Boswell. like he wrote these articles. There's there's one guy that was really funny that wrote for but Jack Ruth. Yep. Yeah. He, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, the internet and the magazine days, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Who is the most... All right, let's, we'll do a couple more VMX questions and we'll wrap it up. All right. Um, who is the most... That you raced with, who is the most naturally gifted racer? And this is a question question from uh, Chris Doyle. Oh, my gosh. Um, everybody was. I'm, I'm really looking back at my early career when I was young amateur. Uh -huh. Naturally gifted is... I mean, every single competitor I had at 13 years old uh -huh. was amazing in their own way. Mm -hmm. You had Anthony Reyes, who was just ridiculously fast, but also he could ride street. 
I remember being in Columbus with him, and it was we were riding after the you know practice or something yeah. in the parking garage, and he was doing yeah. wall rides. Yeah. He three sixty the King of Dirt jump at thirteen years old really? at the Christmas Classic. I mean, uh, naturally yeah. talented. Yeah, you had riders that were just consistent like Corey Muth. Mm -hmm. You had Long Island style from yeah. Miles Davis in New Jersey, uh, TJ Taylor. Oh yeah. yeah. And then you had your style and talent from New England. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it just, then you, you had trail riders from New York. Mm -hmm. I will never forget just the, the talent pool mm -hmm. and the naturally gifted riders in that era. Oh. Uh, once I came to California, it was very. It became more standardized. It was just go fast. Yeah, yeah. You know, right, right. You know, that's why it didn't have to look good. You just had to go fast. Yeah. But back when you were younger, you really got to jump and you got to uh -huh. ride. You know. Yeah. And you, you, everyone, no one was really powerful, but uh -huh. you had to be able to ride your bike. Yeah. Let's see. We'll go with another Chris question. Any Robbie Morales DK stories? Oh yeah, me and Robbie Morales. Um, Robbie was a great guy. Um, of course, he was a little bit older than me at the time, well further along in his career when I came on board. And I'm talking 97 now. Right, right. Uh, when DK first came around, uh, I saw you flipping through the, one of these magazines, yeah. and there was an ad. Um, it was an early DK ad. We, uh -huh. had a chrome, we had chrome DKs yeah. at the time. And Robbie was the pro, and I uh -huh. was the second pro, I guess, because yeah. I was super class, and Robbie was double A. Right. And we had a box truck um, that DK bought. It was like a little bread truck, right? Oh, yeah. And again, we slept in this thing, me and yeah. Robbie Morales, you know. But Robbie was, he had um, he had alternative motives. Like, he had options. Uh -huh. he, he had his street riding, his trail riding. He was, um, yeah, this yeah. is it right here. Yeah. This is the early DK ad. So, uh -huh. Robbie had a lot more to gain than I did. I was just a racer yeah. at the time. I was just trying to come up as a racer but Robbie had the X Games was was new uh, magazines were very you know he was in all the magazines he was yeah. had, he had some time in California um, but me and Robbie did a clinic tour uh -huh. believe it or not yeah. we, we, we drove around in a box truck slept in a box truck yeah. and did a clinic tour I guess I kind of vaguely remember it it's just that the other things are stronger in my memory like the oh. trailer Probably '96 for that. Yeah, it was very, it was early. Yeah, um, but yeah, Robbie's a great guy. Um, I still bump into him from time to time out here in California. Yeah, I think so. He's not too and, far. And he's doing great, right. of course. I just saw him a couple weeks ago. He came back to Brooklyn too. Yeah, this is 1996. Yeah. So this is it. I mean, I was on DK in '96. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was with them for I guess ten solid years mm -hmm. until I went on to something else. Uh, let's see. Oh, last crystal oil question. Straight edge tattoos. Yeah. So when I was uh, in Northern Virginia, I had a, you know, I rolled with a pretty cool group of, you know, I was, I was influenced by a lot of different groups in that era. I mean, we, that area was influenced by Washington, D.C., which is the birthplace of Minor Threat. Oh, okay. And uh, a lot of good, a lot of uh, hardcore music scene. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, kids I hung out with were straight edge, vegan, uh -huh. hardcore kids. And um, I was influenced by the straight edge um, influence there. So I was, you know, obviously straight edge for a good portion of my life. And 
as far as I rowdy as I get now is having a glass of wine with my wife. So right. I still consider myself pretty, mm-hmm. pretty straight and narrow. You yeah. know, good for you. Yeah. Let's give a shout out to this guy, uh, Greg Sutherland. He threw in, um, in some questions, a lot about the downhill, which we talked about, but uh, he had a lot of questions that you already answered. We don't have to talk about the overjump of, of the uh, ski jump at Drexelbrook if you don't want to. <laughs> uh, you know what, uh, man, that is interesting because yeah. for, remember all the wins and titles yeah. and all that, right? Yeah. They, they don't, they're, they're not in my memory, but that day at Drexelbrook <laughs> will never... Yeah. never go away like people talk right. about that and there was only five of us at the trails I know. it was the craziest thing I don't know who was there but I, thought, I thought I was there but my friend corrected me and said that I was there for the Matt Silvio overjump oh. because he overjumped the next one I don't know if the next one was in place so when you went I forgot the name of this jump but they said I said how how, how, how do you jump this jump they said we'll go up the hill yeah. to the tree oh and God, then yeah. just coast down the hill so I went up to the tree yeah. but apparently it was not the tree I went to the second tree <laughs> yes. and came down and I mean I overcleared this jump and um, yeah and my forks bent and people yeah. talk about this 30 years later we we all had something happen there yeah. I remember that same jump like it was yesterday what was it, it called it, it was the ski jump that's a ski jump yeah like yeah that. and it was it was intimidating when you're up there and it was hard yeah. to let go and go down that hill but uh, and you couldn't pedal and you probably did pedal. I um, probably took a pedal, yeah. Yeah. But so, when I my trails in Virginia were flat, uh, we had to pedal to all, all the yeah, jumps. Yeah. Now when I started going to push, and um, in Drexel broke, there was hills. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you had to judge your speed. Right. And I was right. it was new to me. I had the guts to jump them, but I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't judge speed. So yeah. I learned quick. Judging speed, it still amazes me to this day what we do on BMX bikes. Whether it's you jumping the mega ramp on the police on the yeah. police bike, yeah, or you jumping um, at the jam a couple was maybe it was a month ago, a couple weeks yeah. ago, when you did I don't know what you do a, an XF or a table three sixty or an XF. I did that trick over there. That's a the cover we're looking at uh-huh. from twenty years ago, and it's a uh, X uh, one footed X three sixty. Yeah. So yeah. every once in a while, I'd like to see if I can still do it. Isn't it fun? Yeah, it's cool. Know. It's 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 just but being personal to, challenges, right? Right, right. But being able to judge it, I always think about it in the in the same way I would think about throwing a baseball. I try to explain it to people that way. How you know how hard to throw it to have it reach your teammate? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's BMX these days is just muscle memory and maintaining i don't have the strength and speed of course mm-hmm. but uh, you'll never forget how to bunny hop a curb yeah no and you should be able to do that until you're yeah. unca- not capable of riding a bike right. and that's the goal right so right that's it yeah. oh, absolutely so i'm going to uh let's see i'm going to read uh, uh ground check or isaac mccray whichever one, whichever one you want to call him uh let's see he said, in my opinion, one of the most underrated underrated riders of all time. Dude can flat out crush anything on a bike. And I bet he has some great Todd Lyons stories too. Um, which, uh, you know, you, we, we'd be going on. If you have a quick Todd Lyons story, go for it. But if not... Oh, well, Ground Chuck. I mean, I would say the same thing about him. Yeah. But we, yeah, we grew up on the East Coast. We were not in the media limelight. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not race the biggest races. We did not travel the West Coast. So there was a, a ton of riders on the East Coast that were amazing, but never got 
get never got seen. Right. And that's the majority of the, the trail riders on the East Coast. Uh, part, part of the reason I started the podcast, because yeah. I was trying to highlight people that just never got that shine. Right. And mixing in people that were successful as well, like yourself. Brown Chuck and the guys at Push uh, were instrumental and inf influenced a lot of the scenes today. Mm -hmm. Push was just rolling in the push mm -hmm. and seeing those jumps. And I couldn't believe that people made those with a shovel. Yeah. Right? And yeah. just riders coming down the hill and you're like who are these people right. who are these kids right um they're amazing uh -huh. and they're doing it for they don't have sponsors they don't right. get anything for this mm -hmm. to build all these jumps right so they're the ones that are overrated underrated yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. um i got i got a platform to race and be seen and mm -hmm. and do that go that route but a lot of these guys did it because they love bmx right. and they go dig all day and ride at night you yeah. know right in the evening so right. uh yeah and a lion's part um todd lives caddy corner from here oh you're kidding i could i could ride a bike to todd's house from here really um yeah i didn't know he was that close yeah, he's very close in this area uh-huh we could we could have 20 years ago, we could have rode to Todd's house, Alan Foster's house, Christoph Levesque's house, and Brian Foster's house in one mile loop. Really? Everyone's right here. And then we could have went to Thomas Allier's house, uh -huh. Christian Besserine, who's down the street. Uh huh. Um, that is pretty cool. Dave Bittner lives down the street. Uh huh. Is he from Pennsylvania? He's from South Park. Okay. Yeah. Um, everybody. Has has lived here at some point in this uh -huh. mile radius, right? Um, but yeah, Todd lives down the street. Yeah, I hang out with Todd all the time. Mm -hmm. We have a non BMX relationship. Uh -huh. We are friends. Yeah, we are fathers. Mm -hmm. Our kids hang out together. Mm -hmm. I've watched his daughter grow up. He's watched my family grow up. Yeah, um, he's doing great things with his his job at SE and creating a culture and mm -hmm. line of bikes through SE. Um, when we ride bikes together, it's uh -huh. usually just to the beach and back. Yeah. We don't talk about BMX racing. Uh -huh. We don't talk about winning anything. Yeah. We don't talk about the 90s. Uh -huh. We talk about our kids, right? you know, and our families. And uh -huh. So it's a neat relationship because I grew up idolizing Todd, and now I'm riding around with him like a good right. friend. Right. Right. Well, that's so awesome. that's, that's a good Todd story. That is a but good Todd story. But he's still wild. <laughs> yes. He okay. Is. He's still wild. He's still the wild man. Yeah. Um, I'll just shout out my buddy uh, Hank Baldwin or Henry. He called me the one. He's from Connecticut, but uh, he was just talking about how much he he loved watching you and loved the uh, the coverage that that he would see. Um, actually, he referred to that cover as well and just said that he loved the what well, we were talking about that Iron Cross sprocket. Um, he said he bought them because he thought they looked so cool. Um, let's see. Do you want? I'll finish up on my one. Uh, my one from my friend Tom Johnson. All right. Uh, he uh, he said Robbie's one of the greats in my eyes, stand up guy as well. I hit him up in 2017 when I was in Huntington Beach for vacation with my wife, and uh, well, I got to throw in it. Why, why is he bringing his wife to Huntington Beach for vacation? I mean, I got to talk to Tom about that after. But well, uh, <laughs> I'm not it's saying a resort it's not town, beautiful, apparently. 
It's a resort town. Is it? Yeah. Huntington yeah. Beach is... I never think about it that way. Huntington Beach, people come here for vacation. Yeah. People come here yeah. for the U.S. Open of surfing. Uh, we have uh, events here all the time. Uh-huh. Huntington Beach is much an extreme sports area. Uh-huh. Surfing, skating, BMX, yeah. motocross. Sure. Every, every couple of weeks, there's a major event at the beach that's cool. I didn't know that. So, I, know, yeah. I knew so the surfing one. I, I think I you're getting to the point in the story where Tom mm-hmm. comes out here. I know yeah. Tom through BMX. Sure. I don't know a whole lot about Tom, but we've crossed paths many times. Sure. He says, hey, I'm in the area. Mm-hmm. One thing I love to do when people come out here uh-huh. is I love to um, experience something with them. Yeah. Much like when you go to a track that you've never been to before, the first mm-hmm. thing you do is you go to the fence and you look at the track. Right. Right? How cool right. is the track? Yeah. A lot of people that come to this area... I've never been to Sheep Hills. Right. I love to tell them, come over, mm-hmm. get a bike. We're going to go to Sheep Hills. And I love rolling down the Sheep Hills with someone that's never been there yeah. and seeing their face to take in uh-huh. this, this amazing place they've heard about, seen, yeah. and wanted to go to for their mm-hmm. whole life, right? Yeah. So I was able to take Tom there and show him for you know nice. first time. Nice. I've done that multiple times uh, with people, and it's uh-huh. always a good time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I actually went down there before I came to your house. So anyway, I, I, I had never been down there. I yep. just never been down I can't believe it because I've been to California enough times, so I just had never gone down there. Have a, have a lot of people kind of migrated to Southern or to San Diego and Temecula and that, that area, or is it pretty much who was here is here? Well, in the in the late '90s, it was here. This was the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, Huntington Beach has a lot of history. S and M started in Huntington Beach. Mm-hmm. A lot of bike companies are still here. Are started here. Uh-huh. A lot of pros bought houses in Huntington Beach. Uh-huh. Um, the pros of Westminster POW yeah. House is right up the street. Yeah. Um, all your dirt jumpers, your Sean Butlers, bar spinners, Corey uh-huh. Nastasios, they've all lived here uh-huh. at some point. Um, but they also, a lot of riders go out to Temecula, which is inland about 30 minutes away, mm-hmm. a little bit cheaper, a little bit more land, sure. um, closer to motocross tracks, dirt jumps. Right. San Diego has been a popular place to go also. They have mm. some parks, some, some, um, they have some city owned trails, mm-hmm. mountain biking is really big. Uh-huh. Um, it's just a different area. Yeah. It takes a scene to start a scene. Right. Right. Huntington Beach was the 90s. Yeah. And I stayed, of yeah. course, but uh, San Diego has a new, uh, younger scene. Yeah. And it's thriving. Yeah. Another cool thing about Huntington Beach is every Tuesday at the pier, there's the guys from the era of the Rad movie. Oh, okay. Crew Jones, Eddie Fiola, all the guys that are in Rad yeah. all go and ride Flatland at the pier on Tuesday evenings. You're kidding. Every Tuesday. Really? So to take my daughter down there yeah. and watch the guys do Flatland, yeah. they do the same tricks they did in Rat. It's just like their thing. It's their get-together. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, Martin Aparillo. Yeah. Eddie Fiola. Uh-huh. Uh, Bill Allen. Yeah. From the yeah. crew Jones that goes there. Right. You'll see him. Uh-huh. And to, I, I had my daughter in her on her 16-inch bike doing um, foot jam um, endos uh-huh. and with Eddie Fiola oh, yeah, is cool. just amazing, right? Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. So right. that's a, just a cool thing about Huntington Beach. Yeah, I'm sold. I'll move here. Yeah, I'm it'd sold. be cool to see that. <laughs> Go down there and yeah, 
You know, I just go down there. They don't know me. Right. I don't say yeah. who I am or what I've done. I just watch them and yeah. take it all in, you know? Right. So. Yeah. Uh, that's all I've got for you. I mean, you know, I apologize. We only made it, uh, you know, two and a half hours. No, I appreciate you know. it. You actually ended right no. when I got back to my life, so. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It, whatever, this is the perfect length. So I appreciate you doing it. Got Thank it. you. I'll uh, help you clean up a bit and we'll... Uh, yeah. All right.